0: Welcome to ClapperCast. Today, on our first real episode of 2024, the boys are back in town as we discuss Michael Mann's Ferrari. Editor-in-Chief Jack Luke Sharp and the good Niccolo Grasso joins the show to not only discuss if Ferrari is worth the wait considering it's Mann's first real film in eight years, but we also discuss how it might impact Mann's career going forward and what it says about the current state of the industry. Thank you so much for listening to Clappercast. Please make sure to follow, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Now let's get to our review of Michael Mann's Ferrari.
1: Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space, the same moment in time.
2: The corner races at you.
1: You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman?
0: Or a competitor? If you get into one of my cars,
2: you get in the win.
0: Okay, and now to discuss Ferrari. I think there's no better way, Jack. The only reason we're doing this on the podcast is because we made a bet or we made a deal, I guess, rather a transaction. We don't really yeah. need to talk about my side of that, but we're here talking about Ferrari for your side of it. So, Jack, we have a new Michael Mann film. Take us away. What were your thoughts on Ferrari? Well Clapper has had sort of well, Clapper and, and then in sort of a lineage to me have had
2: a strange sort of relationship with Michael Mann, because we've done quite a heavy viewing viewership of of the director's filmography, especially on Uncut Gems. Um, not so much on, on, on Clappercast, but definitely on gems we've done with Black Cat. They've done Heat, uh, they've done a few other things. I think they've done Collateral and so on and so forth. And Miami Vice. Yeah, Miami, we, we did the Miami Vice, we did the director's cut of that, and then we did the director's cut, which wasn't was basically a bootleg version of Black Cat. Which um, best not probably go into any more detail of, of that, but we, we've we've definitely had sort of a soft spot for Michael Mann, especially with like the like like the Wachowskis, and then Tony Scott as well. So it, it's it's quite a nice, especially William Friedkin as well, and, and the other filmmakers really aren't well aren't either aren't here or aren't able to make films um, at that degree um, now. So this has been what since twenty fifteen we've had a theatrical film from Michael Mann. I mean twenty twenty four, it's crazy. So. Going into this, the hype is sort of unreal. As, as a stan, I'll put myself forward for um, the last film we sort of watched uh, on his behalf, Black Cat, uh, the, the theatrical version. Anyway, uh, I think we were all very much lukewarm, on, didn't even get a release in Australia, m- most of Asia. Um, died of death. So this was a what a film thirty years in the making, um, has gone through massive rewrites. Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, and Uma and now, and now to uh, to the Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz starring. Um, Obviously, Nick went to go see it in Venice. Now, don't hold that against him. Um, I'm gutted. But I've been waiting a long time for this because I think for a passion project from a lot of people um, can be quite hit and miss. But I think some, especially from a clinical director, someone who is quite passion full, if that is a, that's a word, as Michael Mann, who was sort of notorious for picking and choosing. Stories very much to like um, Terrence Malik, obviously, different filmmaker entirely, but similar sort of stature and, and pumping stuff out. So the, the, the hype was unreal. Um, I can't quite understand a lot of people's reaction to this, including t- perhaps one person in here, maybe two of you. I don't, we'll have to get into it. Um, this was worth the wait for me, uh, which is quite frightening to say because I, I went into this knowing that a few people were saying it was quite cold. Um, it's, it's a little bit strange. It's not necessarily Michael Mann-esque. And I agree to that extent. It's not the clinical type of production you've seen, even in the likes of Mami Vice, perhaps, or even in those sort of lesser, well-regarded features. It's nowhere near a heat. It's a different film to that. The film it's closest to, I find, is like The Insider, in that everything's happening, but very little happens on screen in terms of film that's bubbling up, bubbling up. But I feel like I'm the person who w- watched this and sort of got what he was getting at Michael Mann. And, and I'll, obviously I'll go, go into that in a little bit, but this film's not necessarily about a man who, who wants to win a race. I think this is, this is about Ferrari. This is, there's, there's three stories here about the name and what, what it means to be a Ferrari. The first one is his relationship with his son, both sons in that case. The second one is a relationship um, in maintaining who he is with his wife as Ferrari. As well as himself. and the and the third sort of conversation is what is Ferrari as a company? And I think three sort of strands of story intertwine quite wonderfully. I think it's a very engaging feature throughout. The sound design is immense. Um, I think you can tell that it's a very much restraint type in budget. It looks like a ninety million type of film. I think that's more beneficial that he doesn't have to go and do crane shots or anything sort of silly or, or, or you know the mundane is here, undoubtedly, but it's very much a restraint type of feature. Um, there's one thing missing in it which sort of really upset me, but I'll get into that later. It's sort of a genre convention of Michael Mann. But I felt like I connected this entirely. I don't really necessarily see the issues of other people in terms of character development and maybe performance, but I was sort of spellbinded in this. I I think I I came away with this and thinking that ultimately, a, a, a film about cars or racing is as linear as the actual race itself. You start and you hope to finish. And whoever gets who gets their first wins. And ultimately, it's about the context and the sentiment of what goes into that linear story and what makes it worth it. The likes of Ford v Ferrari and, and other films of its calibre throughout it. Le Mans, or Le Mans, have, sorry for, for those, the French out there, I do apologise. Le Mans, the um, Steve McQueen film, is very similar to this in sentiment. But um, it, it's, it's a lot more than just about a, a car racing. And I think Michael Mann really got it here. It, there's blood, sweat, and tears, and there's an engine, and there's a there's a stoicism with with manufactured about cars. I think it echoes really well into its characters. I'm I'm gonna have to pick a poem with you, Carson, about Adam Driver because I think we'll have to go there when, when you talk about it. But it was interesting to read your to to read Nick's essentially Nick's review, then go into what see what Carson because you saw it in October, Carson. No November, sorry, November or maybe October. Nick, you saw it in September, and I, I, I've been the, the lone wolf here. I watched it this morning. I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't do that. We have this t- chat all the time, Castle. and I should do it in the morning. But, you know, for my sins. Uh, but I got this. I, I, I was utterly compelled throughout this. And two, two, two hours and ten minutes genuinely flew by. I've had a lot of fun in the cinema the last few years, but this as a cinematic experience just got me. I've waited so long for this, and, and very much like The Matrix, remember, resurrections in in a certain type of hype in the fact that there's a lot of me that wanted it to be great and allowing it to be good and i I had a lot of time to develop with that other film in terms of what that the context of that film was this i'll I'll, i could watch this any day of the week i think it's a perfect type of just on and off and i don't there's there's nothing in terms of like underwhelming about that i could watch this anytime like collateral like mammy vice like Black Hat, which I which I previewed this um, this afternoon as well in preparation. for this, just to see if there's been any sort of um, change in tone, but just to, I know I've been not very brief there, but um, I, yeah, I loved it. It would be in my top ten of the year, uh, not upper echelon, but but it, I, I, this was exactly what I wanted, and I'm hoping because I saw this on Twitter the other day this might just be the tick now of just in in a twilight year of let's make a film every three, four, five years now, Michael. Man, let's get back into the rhythm there. Because almost a decade out, um, I think it, there's been a lot of frustrations, and I think it perfectly, um, perfectly gets back onto that cinema screen. So I really enjoyed it, really, really did. I'm not necessarily sure what you two are going to say now, but whoever's next, I, I I'm listening with uh, with hot, hot, printed ears.
0: I can go quickly because I think it's important to talk about expectations here. Um, in you know, there's a a Barbenheimer almost dichotomy, I would say, between like the Clapper cast and the uncut gems. Uh, group of filmmakers and group of films and group of tones um there's crossover for sure um and not that either side is bad but like michael mann i would say is firmly on the uncut gem side as you mentioned just someone i don't have really any connection with i agree the highs are very high collateral manhunter we'll talk about them in a um towards the end but like some very very big highs in this filmography um but i can't say like personally michael mann I really care about him as much as really anyone else. He's not a Ridley Scott to me um, where I'm going to be there drinking the Kool-Aid every single time. Um, So I walked into this and I've seen it twice now. I rewatched it last night, just to have a fresh take on this. And I think it's a good film. I am definitely more mixed than you. I definitely have issues (laughs) with the story, the narrative. Um, I see what you're saying about it, wanting to capture all these different sides of Ferrari. And I think that's good enough. I think specifically with how it builds the third act and the climax It just feels too separated for me. And I think Adam Driver will get to him, as you mentioned. Genuinely the worst performance of his career. I don't know how you can sit there, especially in the bigger moments, emotional moments, and not just be like taken aback by how bad he is in this movie. Um, But there are definite highs here. I think it is a worthy exploration of the name of the man. And Penelope Cruz, I don't think she's been mentioned yet, is giving one of the best performances of the year. I think she is phenomenal here. The sound editing, as you mentioned, um, the first time I watched this, it was off my FYC DVD and the TV. I would watch it like 2 a.m. for some reason. And I had to keep turning down the audio whenever the racing comes in because it's just this magnificent roaring engines. Um, and there's some fun stuff behind the scenes of how we got a lot of the sounds of the cars. Um, the racing is really engaging um, some thrilling, haunting moments of destruction of human bodies, I'll say. Um, it works. It definitely like works. I'm definitely positive on the film. I just don't know if it comes together for me as much as I would want it to, to say it's like one of the best of the year. But I'm definitely positive. Um, Nick, as Jack mentioned, you saw it at Venice. What were your thoughts on it? I
1: saw it at the world premiere. A very very rare instance where I actually don't go to a press screening. But because it was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. Life was good. (laughs) Michael Mann was coming to lead. That was like... I'll do it. I'll, I'll see Michael in the flesh. I managed to get a nice little seat, uh, like the row in front of like the, the whole balcony where, where the, the, the actors and the crew are. And I was very excited. And then this very weird Italian lady sat next to me, and she just started complaining about the movie before it even started. And she was just like, Oh, I I hate when Americans make movies about Italy because they just don't just don't get it. Uh, like House of Gucci, like fucking that movie. <laughs> like she was she she went in ready to hate the movie, and I went in like ready to love it, and it was amazing. Like during the film, whenever she would just like scoff at the movie, whenever there was something very stereotypical about Italy, she would just go like, <sighs> "Just you see this." <laughs> This is what I was talking about. Um, So it was a very memorable experience in that sense. But I will say that I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. In a way, this is a perfect movie from the 80s transplanted into the 2020s. In both the best and worst ways. I think the best ways are what we talked about with the action and the way all of the racing is shot. I think some of the melodrama really works. Penelope Cruz's performance is just so heightened. It's it's I think it's probably the only like generally perfect part of the movie, together with like the camera work during the racing. Um, but what doesn't work for me is just the way the dialogue is written. There's so much exposition. I think there's like a couple lines a couple lines of dialogue that are repeated like two, three times. Oh, come on, you don't remember when I went and uh, this happened twenty years ago. It's like something like that. It's like, yeah, no, we, we get it. You've said it already. Adam, just just keep going, keep going. Um I think the the female characters in this film are horrendously written. I think Penelope Cruz is like a rare instance where the performance is so good, it makes you forget what she's actually doing. And I think if they had like Numira Pace, which honestly, I really like her, but I think having her in this role, you would have noticed like, oh, there's something, something's not working here, which is exactly what happens with Shailene Woodley, which is kind of like, okay, she's this woman who says a couple of things to be like, no, see, I'm strong and independent, but then she does nothing throughout the movie. She's just there to be the mother of the other child. I I, I didn't find that character, not necessarily the performance, just the character convincing in a way. Uh, Sarah Gaddon, I love her. I think she's just a delight. I've heard her talk um, in person as well, and she has like a terrific mind, and to see her wasted in a role that's literally just the pretty blonde, the, the fiance of one of the or one of the racers I was just like, I was hoping more from that and just and that's like when it started to dawn on me, the longer the movie went on, I was like, ah, they're really not going to do much with what they have in the script like i I didn't feel like this was pushing forward anything particularly new or unique to the genre of, like, these stoic, silent men who are very haunted by their past. Uh, and most importantly, I completely agree with you, Carson. I really... I I, I was a bit in, in denial when I first watched this movie. When it came to Adam's performance, I was like, Adam, uh, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine, you know. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, man, there's just so many... There's so many sequences. And that's also, to be honest, probably a, a problem with the direction, I guess. It was just like holy shit like this man just saw someone's car just flip 10 times in the air crash and burn the rider is dead and adam driver is just completely like stoic still like not reacting in any way. i was like what what's what's happening like in the first part of the movie when there's the first accident i don't know if you guys remember like that part I was like what and he's like that almost entirely throughout the movie i was like I don't get it. And then he has, like, the big moments where he has to be very loud and put on a little bit of an accent that comes and goes. I was like, "Ah, I don't know. I didn't... I don't know. I don't know. I I really wish I loved this movie way more. It was very... uh, I was very happy that when when it came out, I was like, yeah, everyone that's going to love this movie will love it, and I'm happy that happened. I'm happy there's no, like, disappointment in that sense because everyone got what they wanted. Um, I just wish I could belong in it. I went in hoping it would be more a the Insider, of a Miami Vice, mm. like that period of Michael Mann, and I do genuinely think this fits with Black Hat or Public Enemies, Ooh. where there are moments of greatness in it, but the overall package and like it works, you know, but gets you to the finish line, but it's you know struggling all the way.
2: I'd love to interject there if I could do because yeah, I don't I don't know how you <clears throat> excuse me I don't know how you two would um. Go against this, but this is my opinion of this. I find that Michael Mann works on an incredibly visceral level throughout his work, and I think, as someone who is a is a stan, is a fanboy, let's say, um, if if those terms are even not even outdated now, um, yeah. I find that it's probably the one thing I find that's quite a detriment to him as a character, but also as a, as a as a as a filmmaker with a sensual touch, and that there's just it's it's so visceral to a point that he I think he he thinks. Well, my audience are on the same page as me, and that might be fair enough. But when it comes to an emotive level, I think you're playing a very difficult game because if you don't set up beats correctly, I think you can you can leave your audience wondering, but also you can leave your characters and, and, and your, your your story and your narrative slightly underwhelming. I think he's done it a few times. I think when you look at something like Heat, when you see Al Pacino do what he what he do do, do what? Excuse me, tongue tied there. Does what he does on screen? I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that well, it's just Al Pacino on screen. I think you, you you then read the subtext of it, and he said he says on the Christopher Nolan thing about he like I I, I did Vincent Ohana um, as someone who, who was on cocaine, and I think when you see it in that vision, it works. But when you look at it on a on a straight visceral level, I think you look at someone who's like he's just overperforming, and here, very much like a few instances throughout, throughout his filmography, I think he leaves the character to develop. As a, as, a, as a sort of a secondhand shorthand with him and Driver and then accept the audience to understand it, which is sort of like the tonal um, opposite to something what like, Terrence Malick would do. Terrence Malick would have a character on screen and instead of letting a, a, an audience figure out or to, to gel with a certain character just on, a, on an external level, he'll give them an, an eternal monologue on screen through narration and then ultimately you're watching something without having to think and I think these are two polar opposites of filmmakers in a way. I just bring it up as an example, just does, as, as just to, to use it as, a, as someone to oppose. I think Michael Mann works on a far too visceral level, and this film, for me, completely is that. There's quite a few things here I would agree with you on there, which I'll, I'll completely just throw my hands up and agree. The, the, the number one about the stoic thing is that if you read about Enzo Ferrara, like I think he said himself, I mean, granted, this film actually quotes... Certain interviews he did in 1988, the day of his death, the year of his death, sorry, in in a monologue when he talks to Penelope Cruz about the death of Dino, about mm. um, uh, he says a certain line in it that's in all the trailers, that, that the uh, the father something, something, that's literally um, a verbatim uh, of, of that, that, that sequence. So to me... I find that's a very strange idea about a screenplay taking quotations and then remixing them in, in, in sort of contextual dialogue. That's a very interesting take to do that, although, yeah. again, you have to then be on his level and go into it. But um, he says himself, Enzo Ferrari, that he had to build a wall. He says it in the film. Again, he says that in an interview in, that, in, in the 70s after he got into Formula One with... Um, I think, is, is it Janice Gen- uh, Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve? I'm going to say Villeneuve, but we don't do that anymore, Carson. That's getting, that's getting too much into, into, into where we want to get into, but I think he said it himself where he, he built a brick wall because he, he stopped wanting to care about these people who were dying, but the, the film doesn't acknowledge that at all until a portion with, the, with with through the film, and it's an offbeat comment with Shanley mm-hmm. Woodley where he doesn't get that texture again the, the film only mentions Dino's death what, a year before, but he doesn't actually say it in the film at all. It says it on his tombstone. I think if he would have known that before the film even started, if, if it's through um, uh, narration or if it's through uh, on-screen text, I think you can get that identity and that, that texture once again of grief because we're just allowed to figure it out on screen. If we had known going into that that Penelope Cruz is grieving I think that that performance is then, again, same with the Al Pacino thing, that it gets on a second elevated level. As we see it now, it's good. It's very good. But once you have that knowledge going into it, I think that material then gets elevated to a point where, oh, I see now. I see it. But I think Michael Mann wants you to figure that out. And it's a detriment to his style because here, oftentimes, and I completely would agree with you here, you're watching two people argue on screen. And really... It comes down to that core of literally one person arguing and another person arguing. And you don't get that sort of purgatory in between it and that fire. And again, that that sensitivity of, 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 of emotion and emotive prowess. you just get people screaming and I think this one turn off is is just like, okay, okay, And then we watch someone go out who is also dealing with his own grief. And we don't seem to get any context to it. And I think one great sequence is when he goes to visit the grave. I think that's mm. just... I think if, if that, to me... I, no, I'm not, This is not against you two at all. I just think that... Because, because Nick maybe more so than Carson of what you've said about being into Michael Mann. I would have gone like you, Carson, if not a little bit like Nick, if I didn't get pulled in with that scene where he visits the grave in sort of the first 20 minutes. And he sits there, and he has a little conversation, and he breaks down, and within... And this is where I think you might go with your Tommy Wiseau thing. And genuinely, in six seconds, he then goes back deadpan. And I think that's grief. That is someone who has internalised himself to accept that the barrier is now back up. He's shown. He's shown. And I think it's a very much a male thing as well, which this film doesn't get into, and I think it should do about that. That the um, the sensitivity, an Italian and... thing as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I th- but I, I think predominantly, it's it's a very much age type of male where that's it. I'm not showing anything else. He breaks down in front of his son in his grave and then just goes back and he goes, but I don't ever see your face. And it gets back to reality. From that moment on, I was glued because I, I sort of was in touch with the idea of what he was doing. That being said, I don't think Michael Mann gives enough credit or even a little bit more allowance to his audience to, to even feel that out. And I think it comes down to that procedural crime thing inside him where it's it goes by clues and it's sort of weirdly glued into his, his 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 mannerisms as a director, his sensibility, and the fact that I've let loads of clues here. You figure them out. Well, well we're not, you know, we're not playing fucking Cluedo here. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm I'm watching a two hour film. <laughs> G- give me something. And I think I, I would agree with that. And I think it comes down Daniel Day Lewis and the Mohicans, I think both characters in Mike, um, and, and Miami Vice. I think uh, Dillinger in Public Enemies. They're all there, and they all have the same somewhat lacklustre issues and I think it's him how he writes these stoic quote unquote characters but really they're all damaged but he wants you to to figure that out and and meet him in the middle and to me it's like just give it a little bit more credence but that's that's where I would see it I don't
1: know if you two would agree with that but that's that's sort of my identity with, with the issues there. I will say I agree, I wish actually I wish there were more scenes like that there are just, I mean, I'm i am am not the type of person who's like, oh, I can follow dialogues. It's just, there's just way too much talking in this movie. Just way, way too much talking. And honestly, the scene that you mentioned, what I really loved about it, when it goes to the grave and you see like the facade breaking down and then just, boop, going back up again because you can't show, you can't show yourself to be weak. You know, there's the, the thing, everything, no, oh, that's not what a man does. <laughs> Like i like we've known men like that. I know, especially like in Italy, there's this old culture about that. That's very still very toxic, especially when you go further south. Like this film is set more in central Italy. Um but then it's also juxtaposed with Penelope Cruz going to the to the grave, and she's lacking that extra step, you know, to to process the grief in the way that he's trying to do. You totally see that they're two like separate islands, they're not a couple, they're not together. I think like that works brilliantly. But it's just, like, one scene early on, and then there's a lot of scenes with just people talking. I, I was thinking about that, like, when you were t- talking earlier, Jack, just about all of this. I was like, yeah, why does why do the other movies work so much? Even something like Miami Vice, which was kind of hated back when it came out. I am like, well, because there's a lot of moments of lyrical beauty where it's just the music. And the visuals, the acting, and no dialogue, no nothing. And it's Jamie Foxx in the house taking a taking a shower. The the, the two on the boat, speed boat, going to dance and drink mojitos. Like th- there's a lot of those moments in Miami Vice, and even in some of the other movies. Heat has a bunch of them. This movie really doesn't, which I think it's a shame. I think it should have done the opposite. Probably it should have actually stripped back a lot of more biographical elements. And there was a bit of a um, it's called a controversial tweet recently that came out on on X about freaking May, December. And like, oh, the guy that played him, that like the guy, one of the main inspirations for the story said that he should have been consulted and blah, 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 which is a whole separate topic. But someone said, oh, one of the worst things you can do for a biopic is to have like people directly involved make it. And boy, would you, wouldn't you know that actually one of the people that helped produce the movie and that a uh, strong help in making it was the son, <laughs> the the actual like the the bastard son you could say of of, of Ferrari. He was yeah, he was also in the at the premiere of the film and everything. So you know he's uh, the Hedda SEO had, of Ferrari though. He's
2: he's, he's pretty much like the top of Ferrari now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah
1: you you can't get past it <laughs> probably to make a movie like this, which fair enough, but also. Like after watching the movie and figuring this out, I was like, oh man, I'm thinking about so many scenes here. Or like he's just the cutest little boy. He loves his daddy. Daddy's super nice to him, you know. Mom is amazing. Mom's portrayed like an angel. Fuck Penelope Cruz. That woman was was sick, you know, she had a freaking revolver in the house. She was ready to shoot and so it's like, holy shit. Okay, it kind of recontextualizes some things, you know. Um, which have been very controversial here in Italy. Like this movie has not been taken well in terms of how it portrays Italians, uh, in terms of the fact that it's Primarily about Italians with an entirely like foreign cast, uh, which I don't really give two shits about, to be honest. What I don't like are the accents, I could have done without the accents. Go full Napoleon, I don't care if they have an American accent or a British accent, and then they meet the British and they all have the same accents. I don't care, just do it like Napoleon. Instead, in this movie, you have like these weird accents that keep coming and going. I don't know what Shailene Woodley was doing, at least the pronunciations are good, you know. It's just like, oh well, you know, at least they say like Giovanni. Instead of Giov- Giovanni <laughs> or something she's <laughs> so you always get Federico but but no, it's it's, it's commendable in that sense, but uh, uh, just, just find it lacking. more I... lyrical, more poetic.
0: I will say I respect this film just because I feel like we're all in like very different wavelengths with it, which I think is like a kind of a testament to the film. Because like not to push back, because I did say Adam Driver's terrible, and I do think <laughs> he is. But like I think his stoicness works so well, and that's like the one time where I think this works. And I think that whole like him putting up a wall, I kind of disagree. Maybe it's because it was my second watch when I just watched this again, but like. I thought that was handled very well I thought that revealed itself very well I think it's also quite obvious like as he's watching these people literally die and he has no reaction I think that carries enough of a weight to kind of propel you as an audience member to be like something is up with this guy because that's not a normal human reaction mm. I think that's very purposeful I don't think it's a lack of like insight by man or anyone involved um, I think the stoicness like he does have a presence to him I will say where he's on the sidelines of the race or whatever you do get a sense of like okay he's here like there is a sense of weight there for me it was the biggest issue was his bigger moments um not even like the crying at the grave but specifically like in the arguments as he has to yell in this accent that goes in and out and i don't give a fuck about accents to be clear i really do not care but like truly he goes from kylo ren to tommy Wazo to um, whatever his name was in gucci like it's in and out of so many different performances that it really just bothered me i think that's like where i'd say his issues are um but i kind of disagree with both of you and the fact that i think the stoicness and i think that emotional journey of grief from both him and penelope cruz i think that like argument about it is also just like kind of the best scene of the film to be honest like i think that plays very well and effectively Um, i think that's probably the the one thing the film does like emotionally right i think that's like the most impactful part of the film um so i don't know i guess i disagree with you both there
1: I, i get it i get it
0: I think I, I think stoicism is interesting. Adam Driver because he's, he's
2: it's interesting to look at his filmography and he's, he's doing essentially what the Leonardo DiCaprio of his time did. He's he's working with auteurs and and like Terry Gilliam. He's worked with Michael Mann. He's worked with like you know Spielberg. It it goes on and on and on and on. And, you know he's done the Star Wars. He's done everything. And he's he's barely like forty five. I think it's interesting to look to look at um, an actor at that point and see where they've developed. And when you look again with the Cohen brothers as well, when you watch him at Inside Llewellyn Davis and you watch him something like this, which is which is a ten year difference twenty thirteen to to twenty twenty three. It's interesting to see how he sort of curated and contained his career in the sense of um, very very powerful embellished moments of like aggression. I think you're right. I think they're they're mostly throughout th- throughout his. Um, his filmography. Here, I don't think he does anything essentially new, but I also again, to what Nick said. I don't think Michael Mann is doing anything new here. I was slightly preoccupied with this because when you look at Michael Mann's textures in his film and I think, so one thing I agree with what Nick said is that I think there's, there should be a few sequences here and I'm just talking about like seconds here, like 10 seconds here. There, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, the, the, the James Mangold film, which, which is like, like seven years after this in context of, of the actual story of Enzo Ferrara there's one scene where it perfectly um, depicts Italian culture to me. I mean, I'm someone who has, who has visited like Rome, Venice, again, like wife's gone to Florence. I, I adore that country too. I'm not just saying because I've got an arsehole here from Italy or anything, but um, I-, I adore Italian culture. I find it like a second coming to a Yorkshire person as well, where they just say what <laughs> they feel the very right way, some of them, which is dangerous. But they very much have a very interesting history, which is very recent as well since the, the 30s and 40s. And, and a lot. Of the, it's a very interesting thing. Which This film, again, he, he was vilified by the Nazis, put it into his wife's name. There's something interesting to talk about there. It doesn't go into it. Granted, that's, that might be in the Wikipedia section. But when you watch the Ford v Ferrari, when, when the Americans, via Henry Ford um, II, go to Enzo Ferrari and he's smoking, that, that scene, there's nine Italians in there, all in black suits, all with black sunglasses on, all indoors, just smoking, and the room fills up with sweat, testosterone, and smoke. And you undoubtedly get a feeling of texture, which Michael Mann has done multiple times before in rooms, in greys, in blues. I mean, Harmony Corinne granted, it's probably not the best, film, the best person to secondary source, but his favourite film is Miami Vice because it has that texture, it has that neon-lit identity where you can smell that film you can taste it you can smell the cigarette ash in in, in the nightclubs you can smell the the vibrant of cocaine in that nightclub in the beginning you know i don't think you get the feeling here it's very clinical i think it's a testament to try and identify what enzo ferrari was as a person but ultimately not understand what he was up against it's all well and good crafting a film uh, for an identity to revert back to its main lead character, but then you you have a lack of mise en scène, which which is interesting because I can't think of a Michael Mann film where the mise en scène wasn't absolutely um, perfect to a testament of building a, a, a characteristic towards its you know uh, towards its characters. Everything was then revoked back into building substance through style, building through substance through style. The End of Heat, the entirety of of, of Miami Vice, I think. Echoes of Public Enemies is where then it begins to, to to fall out, and I think Collateral is one that perfectly cra- cra- captures that essence of darkness and you know digital filmmaking that isn't here for me. And the other thing that frightened me as well, there's only one other film where it's engaged with green greenery, which is less the Mohicans, mm-hmm. and I weirdly think them two match up quite well in the sense of do you look at one character who is very stoic has a mission to do it, will do it at all costs, loves his family, but is against, who is going essentially against a secondary nation and has to get to be on top. Uh, not comparing Daniel Day-Lewis to Adam Driver or anything like that, but I think the sentiment and the ideas of both films are wildly interesting to to, to be compared and, and, and almost work parallel. But again, those two films, for me, are the two lacking, and I like Last of I love Last of it's like my sister's favourite film. So that's how far Michael Mann go, goes back in my family, um, you know. We're, we're like twosies now. I'm joking, but um, I, I do find that there's a sentiment there that this film lacks a texture. And even when you get into the to the race itself, and you get the the flashing lights, and, and he's talking to the people, and you hear the sound design, and you hear the raw. There's no smoke. There's the, there's just a, this digital effect on the screen that looks almost like a like we're looking into a world. It lacks a human organic authentic touch that, that that whole thing should be you should barely be able to hear what he says it, just add a little bit more texture to the environment and, and lead it up and then when they go driving around you know we get a little bit more of there but it's too clean it's too clinical and i think it's it's an idea that that that's followed man since 2009 with public enemies especially after that with black cat and then with this all three of them have a lack of setting to be in partnership or in lieu with with its characters. That's just my opinion on it, having, having been a fan of his filmography. I don't necessarily know where that comes from. I don't know if that's a director who is deciding to go the James Cameron way or, or, or that sort of identity and to go through digital filmmaking because they were two... Michael Mann and, and, and James Cameron were massive pioneers of Blu-ray. I mean, they were going to uh, to demonstrations in, what, 20, 2008, 9, 10 in Singapore to show these... The films that they were doing in, in the blu race sphere. Um, perhaps it's that I don't know. I read Jacob's review of this. Jacob Flash, the uh, the host of Uncut Gems, and he, he damned this film. And it's interesting that how he looks at this. in it's it's like a it's like a director sitting on a park bench. I'm going to try to quote this, talking to the viewer how to do a sports racing movie. But but just and it's it's, it's as as, a, it's as abrupt and simple as that. But not actually doing anything with it. I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly, but I understand where it's coming from. Perhaps that's the ten-year difference. But for me, I can see that ten-year difference in a, in a person then trying to find maybe the line again, the racing line to try find that get back on. He needed those ten years out to sort re, of redefine himself. And I do. I'm, I'm a massive proponent of if you leave. An industry for far too long. I think you can forget things. You can f- forget that shorthand, that second secondhand, um, and perhaps here that that may be there. Maybe I'm looking at it with rose tinted glasses. So so maybe I'll, I'll again concede to that slightly. But um, I get to, back to the point. I find a lack of texture here. But then it, it, it for me personally, I find that the the clinical nature of its character stood there that more than makes up for that. But again, if you're going for the visceral here. There's a there's sort of an oxymoron relationship, which I think for a, for a viewer who, who goes to the cinema quite a lot, who who watches very highbrow cinema, like the both, both of you two, who watches plentiful of authors each day, who's got uh, an incredible amount of cinephile ability to to read film. I can understand why this perhaps wouldn't even pop up for you. I, I, I can imagine this would just be flat. Um, so, again, not to speak for Buffy, but that's the sort of sentiments I do. Again, just no texture. But, but again, I, I find other things that more than make up in, in, in some ways for, for me.
0: One thing I find very interesting, I don't know, I don't think Man probably cares and he's been working on this film forever, is that when this film was made, it was planned to go to streaming, which I find like a very odd choice and odd like factoid that it was going to go to Showtime and then they sold the rights after it was made. So like, I don't know if that has anything to do with how it is viewed when you're creating something for the small screen compared to the theatrical screen. Again, Man doesn't strike me as someone who's like, yo, I'm just going to do whatever. Like he clearly has a passion mm-hmm. for this film and passion for filmmaking, but I don't know if that plays into it at all. Just a thought, I guess.
2: I was slightly, again, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I was slightly worried watching this because once you see Adam Driver in Penelope Cruz, there, there really isn't much else there in terms of depth and there's not really much there in performance. There are small snippets of Jack O'Connell, um, Patrick Dempster, Shane Woodley, Woodler, Sarah Gordon, as you said, and there's a, there's a few more. But that else is a is a quite a major sign for me. This may have had trouble getting made. Now I know that in 2012 he wanted to make this, and they were going to give him 40 million, and he said no, I, I just won't make it, and then just didn't do it for years and years. And I sort of agree to that. I, is this 70? This is 70 million, I believe. 95. 95. You don't really see a cinematic flair here, though. Although there is um, there's an identity on screen. I, I I'll say this: there's a definitely a, a vis. There's more like a visual. Sentiment of the camera just floats. It looks quite good when when the camera's upon upon the cars, and he likes to swoop in. But there's a lack of digitalized digitalized digital digitalization. Third times a charm that you see in Public Enemies, and even in Black Cat. There's very lack of pause here, which then would demonstrate that there's a lack of shooting availability. When I, when I was in the car, before it almost killed me today. I'm sure we'll get into that later. It sort of dawned on me in the fact that. When Michael Mann was in his pomp, he worked with Warner Brothers in his formidable, formidable fucking hell, excuse me, formidable years. In that he made *Last of the Mohicans*, *Heat*, *The Insider*.
1: Oh, yeah. and
2: then and then then he would make Ali. I don't know who Ali's with, but he made them with Warner Brothers. And then I think Ali, I think is Warner Brothers as well. Then he moved on to go make. Um, uh, with with Paramount with collateral, um, but then he went to Universal, which is Miami Vice, Public Enemies, and Black Hat, which is in the UK. This is this, is, and then after twenty fifteen, seized. I think working with two production houses, and then now working with Sky Original or STX, which is predominantly a Chinese backed. Um, I don't know if it's Chinese, but it's primarily an Asian backed um, production house, I believe. Um, you know the Mile Twenty Two era of Peter Berg. You know we've all been there. Um, Ouch. <laughs> but yeah, that would be a sort of like an issue that you can't you can't get the funding here. I don't know necessarily why. Um, that 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 worried me to go into this. So I can understand what you mean there. I think he more than makes up with it, and just he, he, again that visceral sense of the just inward feeling, in that the, the he's providing sequences on screen that are very much fundamentally easy to understand, but don't give very much off. Um, and for, again, though, for no one in an American market to want to touch this for 90 million as a Michael Mann movie with Adam Driver, um, I don't know, that that's. I think there'll probably be a little bit more to come out there, um, but considering that Ford v Ferrari was very, very well received, and there's been a lot of sort of this racing second wind within cinema, yeah, that, that idea of going straight to streaming and just being saved by Neon, which is, again, a very small not small, but smallish. Um, independent. Uh, yeah, independent. It's a slightly worrying thing. Perhaps that may have given... Again, they only bought the distribution rights, didn't they, as well? So it wasn't even them that, that put the finance in. So STX must have had some conditions of this being two hours long. Um, I wonder if he'd have had more free reign under a Neon, but less money. Maybe that would be more beneficial for him. But again, I think it's a Sky original, which I, I, again, I, I couldn't even name it the Sky original in the UK, which is, which is a Rupert Murdoch-backed um, cable TV channel, essentially like your HBO uh, in the US, did not fill me with joy. I also didn't think the trailers were cut very well, which genuinely upset me throughout it, really looked, looked, looked poor in, in, in crafting a, an identity. But again, I think this a film struggles with that as well on, on, a, on a visual sense, not to contradict myself, in it, but more so a more prolonged visual narrative um I, I again that would worry me someone what's next I, you know the, the whole thing not to jump the gun here but you say about it, it looking quite um i not to put words in your mouth but it looked more more so the latluster from a from a production house that hasn't got anything else where he thinks who and who he thinks he's going to get heat to produced by by Warner Bros <laughs> would would worry me because this made this is barely brought 20 million and it costs cost 90 to make didn't that so i don't know and again Warner Brothers are in the shit here because they haven't got the DCU. They've got to go back onto the Jameson. They have to reset. They've fallen out with Christopher Nolan, who is the fanboy. You know, they've got who? Denny Villeneuve, who's going to gear up for Doom Part 2. If that bombs, his messiah goes to tits
0: up. Dave
1: Mattel. Yeah. One so, of the spin-offs
0: of Barbie. It's yeah, well, a big box. <laughs> yeah. The Batman universe better deliver. Yeah,
2: exactly. So th- it's going to be interesting if they go back to the auteurs, and I think that, that, that day is gone now. So where he gets that produced, I don't know. But it's interesting that, you know, the Apple TV are picking up uh, Scott and Scorsese. Uh, Michael Mann seems to be the one forgotten about And it's interesting that, I mean, Netflix would have done an absolute dime with this. Uh, again, it, I th- perhaps it's... Hit- again... I, to reiterate my point, it's interesting that he's a digital art, digitalite, isn't he? He's someone who who looks into the digital um, tenfold. He, he envisioned that with Black Cat in the narrative, but on, on a visual sense, he's digital, his digital cameras, red cameras, so on and so forth. Does that mean that he's against the digitalization of publication of cinema? Is he against Netflix? I don't know if on the record if that's true. Um, I I don't know if you can have your cake and eat it. So I wonder. It, that's a strange relationship. If so, but Netflix would have done really well here. Um, Apple TV probably couldn't afford it, but, but £90 million seems like a, a pretty good uh, deal to take. But again, um, they've got it in cinemas. Done, it's getting a lot of buzz, but I know it's just a very long-winded answer. I'm sort of talking to myself here. I apologise. But it's, it, it's very interesting that this does have a very cheap type of look, but I think it gives credit to him as a filmmaker and that, that even, as I said at the beginning, the linear approach to narrative here, there's still loads of form to be found. I think that is, a, that is a credit to him as, as a director in a visual sense and that he can mm. probably probably make shit just turn into sprinkles like that. I think he's very careful of doing that and at the age that he is, I think he needs to keep on making cinema because there's a lot out there that he could do and make something really interesting. I don't want him to do the bloody um, HBO show that he had with Anthony Ekoid. You know, the... the, the, the I can't your Yeah. You can tell that the, the, the pilot episode and the second episode are two different types of, of, of visceral experiences and I think he's very much a person who needs to step away from the small you know because I, I can see Heat 2 going to HBO Max I really can or oh, Max what yeah. it's called now and it not having Driver whatsoever um, but yeah if that answers your question I know that was long winded I apologize
0: Well I have two things to say I think first it's important to mention that this is a new cinematographer it's not as long term one this is the guy who did Mank and the guy who did The Killer so <sighs> I think speaks a narrative there <laughs> as far as streaming titles. Yeah. Um also I think it's interesting just like seeing Should the reaction to speak. this, seeing yes, I agree. Seeing the reaction to this, seeing the reaction to Napoleon, which go check out Napoleon review at, at the end we have like this extensive conversation about the like marketplace for these types of films i think that it was really screwed putting it out there in theaters on christmas when there's a ton of other options for pretty much every other demographic plus coming out at venice with a very lackluster reaction there i mean like people are not loving this film the conversation is not whether you're talking about awards whether you're talking about commercially whether you're talking about just like the general audience who goes to see this i don't think a lot of people are liking this movie to be honest um I think the reaction the or the release strategy really is not beneficial to this film. Um, I think it is this like we're seeing, we talked about that with Napoleon, that I don't know if these streamers are going to even in, want to invest in these films. So now you're even getting a reduced marketplace of like, who's going to want to pick these up? Who's going to want to pick up the next Michael Mann film? Um, I don't think Heat 2 carries even the same like weight as um, Gladiator 2, if you want to say. So I don't the know. Game? I'm very, I am very nervous about the future here and i don't think audiences i guess are not necessarily someone who's you know clamoring for the next michael mann film i don't think in general but i just don't think the marketplace of how it's evolving is going to be pleasant to someone like him i mean i think ridley scott will survive for the rest of his career right we talked about that i don't think mann's going to be able to find people to have his vision and put it out how it needs to be seen, because there's no way this film would work on streaming. There's no way you can release a Michael Mann film, in my opinion, on streaming unless like very specific circumstances with a very specific goal through production on what that's going to be. I just I don't see it, but maybe but that's we, me being kind of nihilistic. No, yeah.
2: I, I'm am going to agree with that. And I'm going to say it in a different term as well because I, I I hate to say this as someone who loves the cinema, but I keep I I seem to love <laughs> filmmakers who air are restricted to make films and B, have a very niche but but wonderful fan base. And I think um, Michael Mann and the Wachowskis are very similar. I know people are going to shit. Gonna, hey, about I have to because it makes sense. I, I, I do agree with the sentiment that if you look at the Wachowskis' the Amazing Resurrections and you look at um, Michael Mann's Ferrari, okay. let's say if he goes and makes Heat 2, we're going to live in that world. We're going to live in that space. It's happened, right? I hate to say this, but the only people who went to go see the Matrix Resurrections, when me in my Matrix gear, my shoes, my pants, my teddy bear that, that I was lucky to, to be given by the crew here, which is locked away because the dog will will eat him. Um, <laughs> and I was there, I've got my blanket on and stuff like that. And six other people who watched the first one and nobody else. Because it's its it's, its own converged trilogy of, of, of people that doesn't bring new audiences. Why would you? why do I want to watch Matrix 4 when I can watch John Wick 4, which is relevant now? It's not 20 years ago. Which, again, I think is a small-minded um, type of uh, sentiment. But ultimately, if you're paying $8, 10 $11 an hourly wage, which is an hour of your work, you feel free to pick whatever you want to. I, there's no way that anyone should judge you otherwise. The only people who will turn up for Heat 2 will be four people, and two of them will have a Heat t-shirt on. I know the two. One person will like Manhunter, the person person will say, "Black Cat's my favorite film," <laughs> and I think, and I do think that, and that that's a very again nihilistic, sadistic way to put things. But I agree, I agree with the Carson. these filmmakers are so niche in the way that they've they've they've, they've crafted films, and essentially, not even in an egotistical way, but have been quite self centered. I want to make this cinema, and haven't made commercial vehicles in the sense that they'll bring people in, um, and and ultimately in the long run. It's a severely lacking thing because you don't bring new fans in. You just bring people who have liked your cinema. And I think all power to the filmmakers. They're making what they want to do and they're not making pieces of shit that they don't want to. Um, all power to they can sleep a comfortable night. I can sleep comfortable night because I've, 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 I like what I like. But in the long run, it does not help. There's a, there's a reason why, uh, let's say, that the, the, we call it commercialism. In the, the stuff that, the When Brian De Palma had to make The Untouchables, he had to make Scarface because it was a commercial vehicle. His name was on the billboard and there were big films with, with Academy Award winners and people went to see them. And then maybe 30% of that went to go watch the smaller films like Snake Eyes that he would make. You retain an audience from, from, from bigger commercial entities. Michael Mann has never done that. Michael Mann has never made the commercial vehicle. He made, he made um, what Jericho Mile, which we'll talk about later. He made uh, The Keep, which everyone hated, and he's just ultimately just put to the side. Then he made Thief, which is a small film cult favourite. Then he made Manhunter, small film cult favourite. you know. And then we go into, what, the 91, 92, stuff like that. He makes master of the Mohicans, small film, cult, cult, cult favourite. You know? Then we go into the heat, heat business, where it fucking booms. But no one who watched Heat went to go watch The Insider. And I don't think many people who watched The Insider went to go watch Ali. And I don't think many people who watched Ali went to go watch Collateral, so on, so forth, until we get to Ferrari, where there's three people waiting to watch it. Longevity-wise, as, may, as anyone may have guessed, doesn't really create a big enough demand or audience. So th- th- the issue that will happen to Ridley Scott eventually, I think we may differ here, I think we spoke about Napoleon, is that he will stop being able to make the films he wants to and have to cater to the audience that are there um, and making bigger films like the Alien Covenant sequel, it will never happen because there'll be six people there who like Prometheus uh, or maybe Alien Covenant to begin with and it's not, you know. There are people who like Blade Runner, et cetera. Um, Danny um, Villeneuve is one, and Christopher Nolan's going to, if he's not careful, he's going to suffer as well. And that these... I think Nolan's different because Nolan, Nolan is making corporate stuff um for hip well, not corporate stuff he's making sort of corporate stuff for himself that he's made the batman trilogy he's done that whereas denny's still trying to go into the blade runner then he's making doom but he also made Enema. you know so they're very much on the same trajectory It'd be interesting to see how them two do like this like the likes of michael Mann, uh ridley scott uh, those big heavy hitters uh, but I, I'm I'm on the same wavelength with you. I don't know if you agree, Nick. I think that when the time comes for something big, I think I think the time's gone there. Nick, he, he's going to have to restrict himself to make smaller films, and maybe making that film for forty million may have been the better option. However, you know, t- t- ten years later we're here, and yeah, would you would, would, would you say it was worth it for him? Undoubtedly, oh. for me, yes. But no one else going to watch Ferrari was like, oh my god, it was so worth the wait. People just
1: went on a way. I just, you know, who's wearing a Ferrari
2: he, T-shirt? You know, sorry, Nick, go on.
1: I I, I think it's just obsolete. That's <gasps> that's what it is at the end of the day. Which is which is not something I want to say. I was I, I went into it hoping for something more, but he didn't give it to me. Um, it's I I. I mean, I don't know where I will be when I'm like 80 years old or something. If I if I get will be, be doing 80 this old. Uh, Capricast yeah. <laughs> episode 1200 mm. um, but I that. think like I'll when you that. get to that age you see a lot of directors still trying to not necessarily innovate but at least reinvent themselves you know we've seen it with Spielberg we've seen it with Scorsese like all these directors M- movies may be financial or not but at least they're being well liked they're getting the awards they're getting clout filmmakers like Brian De Palma they are doing the same. <laughs> they did yeah, the same yeah, yeah. thing over and over again for the past, like, 10, 15 years to the point that people just got tired and stopped watching the movies. And they got, like, progressively smaller and smaller budgets until you get, like, Domino, which is uh, not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going to go there today. Um, Ferrari is not Domino, thankfully. It's a much, much better movie. Um But at the end of the day, I just look at it and think, what did this give me that I couldn't get with other movies? And if the answer is just some cool driving sequences and a horrific accident, (laughs) it's like, well, is it justified? I'm not necessarily the one to say yes or no, but I don't know. I I feel even someone like Terrence Malick, who I have like a love-hate relationship with this later period of, of cinema. At least he reinvented himself. At least he like oh. embraced a different side of things that he wasn't really doing 15-20 years before. And I yeah, I don't really see much different in here. I, it, it's kind of ironic that Michael Mann reshaped before Twin Peaks came out and that whole and like X-Files in the 90s, he reshaped television series with Miami Vice in the 80s. It was like, holy shit, like TV shows can look cinematic, They're like the Neo lights and there's the shootouts. It's like, holy shit. And then you get to Ferrari, which looks like a made-for-TV film in the 2020s, um, which is crazy. Like, yeah, I forgot it, it was the same cinematographer as uh, The Killer, <laughs> which is, which is movies made specifically for streamers that also screen on the big screen at Venice. I didn't see it on the big screen, but it looked just so much different because I think it's just the David Fincher touch. Like it, it does indeed look like a David Fincher film, still made for streaming, but it looks like a David Fincher film. And this one just looks like made for TV, like generic. The the the, the cinematic language between the dialogue and the action is so different from one another. It's not honest. Ah, uh. I was going to compare it to Marvel in some way. I'm not, <laughs> but you know, it feels like second unit. It feels like you get—I don't know—like like when they did what was it, like Birds of Prey, the DC movie. It was like, oh, it's you know, standard movie, and then you get Chad Stahelski directing the second unit for the action scenes. Like, oh shit, this feels like vibrant and invigorating, and that's how it felt like here. You watch, like, if I think of the prison breakout in in Public Enemies, you know the digital cameras on the car, and it's like, like, holy shit, this feels like a documentary, and then you get into, like, the houses and the villa, and uh, Marion Cotillari is having a bath, it's like, oh, this feels like, still intimate in a way, and you watch this movie, and it feels like it's made by two different people, the dialogue is just static camera, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, wide shot of people talking, maybe, maybe a little dolly, if they're moving around the site, and that's it, And then you get to the action and it's so vibrant and energetic. It's like, oh my god, the film is coming to life. But it's a completely different cinematic language. It doesn't really jive well together. And I've seen people kind of complain about that, but try to (laughs) try to twist it into a positive. No, because you see, it's the torn man. It's the two sides of Ferrari. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm pushing it here, guys. I'm pushing it here.
2: (laughs) Would you, and this is not to come down to my level, could you could you in a world say that's part, that might be Rust on his part?
1: Yeah. In a little bit, mean, yeah. He has I, been behind, I behind,
2: it... behind the camera, but in small dose, doses of, 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 of stuff, but he hasn't done something like this. Could you I guess.
1: I, he hasn't really made... I think that's the only like different thing for him. It's like he's never made high-speed chases like this. There's like the car crash in collateral. There's like, you know, the boat ride and whatever in Miami Vice, but there's no action scenes like the ones in Ferrari. So I can see the appeal in that sense of actually shooting, which is kind of insane, like actually shooting with real cars and all of that, like very little digital work. Actually shooting it in Italy instead of like CGing things mm-hmm. in or shooting it in California and pretending it's Italy. So it's they did a lot of work in the production design for sure and 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 all of that. But yeah, it, it feels rusty. Like I was re-watching clips because I forgot. I was like. I remember kind of enjoying parts of Black Hat. And then we watched them. I was like, holy shit, this (laughs) this looks pretty good. Like, I still wasn't a fan of the story. But I was like, man, just the visuals and the way, you know, just running around the city and just clicking the the keyboard and the laptop. And the energy is just insane. It's off the charts in that film. So maybe it's what you said, Jack, earlier. Maybe, you know, it's been 10 years almost. You got to be trusty. Which I, I, is that, yeah. understandable, I guess.
2: I, I just, I'll just re- respond to that, and then I, I want to ask maybe Carson a question because if we're going to be, we're going to get into skepticism. I, I really do want because i be interested to know what Carson says because Carson's quite ruthless a bit. But the first thing <laughs> is to say, I think this film perfectly encapsulates old Hollywood and new Hollywood and the mixture of them don't work. I think mm. Michael Mann has left left a Hollywood um, trying to make a film perhaps ahead of its time. We'll talk about that a little bit later, um, and with issues that have gone before, with public enemies and issues with Miami Vice and stuff, and his old '90s worldview in the two early 2000s, and then the, the two thousand and um, late 2000s, and then just touching on the, the mid 2010s, I think to stop ten years in Hollywood is like almost waiting. Is is stopping to 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 allow another generation of viewpoint in? I don't think any director. Who is on the level of Michael Mann on a visceral sense can take himself out of the running completely and then try to opt in t- 10 years back in. I think Ma- Malik is an interesting one going to do philosophy in France and then jumping back in with um, a thin red line uh, is, is a want and a blue moon, but he was left to his own devices to go shoot up an island in more ways than one, you know, and then f- f- six years later let Christopher Plummer climb up a tree at 79. You know, I think. He was allowed to to do what he wanted because the the expected expectancy of it was we might get something out of it here. I think that's gone with Michael Mann for, for a lot of studios, and I also think that you just look at the idea of how he wants to shoot, which is fast, ferocious. Um, but then there's people going up, well, but we need our big moment. You know, we need our third, act, big moment, and he doesn't allow that. And I think that's what Carson said earlier about the dissonance of its third act in that it doesn't give anyone that pre- predisposed, for lack, for lack of good and bad, Carson, I'm not saying you're wrong or anything, but I think it's he doesn't allow his audience to get that. Is that conscious or is that in spite? Because I think Michael Mann is a person who will look at modern cinema and have a few things to say, much like Ridley Scott's saying, but he's just got it more so in the public eye. So I, I see this as a film of, of, of trying to watch uh, John Huston In the 70s, direct or in the 80s, it's not the John Huston making um, the the, the 1940s films and stuff like that. I think Hollywood just changes. It's like, you know, in in 10, 15 years' time, if Scorsese had stopped after, let's say, bringing out the dead and then went to make um, A Wolf of Wall Street, it it, it wouldn't be the same boisterous nature. You had to make films in between, with the Gangs of New York being a massive one, the Aviator being a massive one, having to learn CGI. Michael Mann's taken. Big gaps of going, trying to go back and boots on the ground filmmaking, and it's changed. I think Adam Driver is a is an actor who will probably play with that and want to do that, having been with Terry Gilliam's movie, you know, Don Quixote and and stuff like that. I think he has a sentiment of a Juilliard actor where forget what's on screen with with CGI and let's just work person to person. I like that the the, the 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 development in this film, but I do think it's a sentiment and ideology of. What my cinema is, and what cinema actually is now, uh, which is actually quite sad. To maybe that's the sad part of it. Uh, watching someone who's not quite up to—I mean, what do you do? Do you just stop, or do you just do you do what Hitchcock does and just carry on? You know, it's horrible. Like the Wachowskis, stop. Well, I'll make something when I want to make, and you know, maybe that's beneficial to them, and maybe more so beneficial for an audience as well that they're not just making the next pieces of shit come out like a like a Marvel film. I quite like Michael Manners and acknowledge that. I don't want to, He do not want to make a... Why does he want to make a Marvel movie? Why, do, why, does, why, why does he want to do a Kenneth Branagh and make four? I don't know. Maybe he wants to pay some bills, I don't know. But the one thing I wanted to ask, right, because I've seen this quite a lot come up on, on the Twitter, and I do think it's an it's an interesting argument because I know my answer, and if anyone listens to this, they'll know my answer without even having to say this. I've I've read a lot of people begin to look at Michael Mann as a film, uh, film director, especially with his filmography, and, uh, and uh, suggesting that Michael Mann's only ever made one good film. And I just wanted to both of you, because you're both on the spectrum of of, of of being engaged with Michael Mann. I think it goes Carson, Nick, then me. I'm just very intrigued, intrigued how much stock you would put into that. I mean, genuinely, if it's engagement, if it's entertainment, one really brilliant film, or do you think he's made quite a few... Um, d- Dense in the, in the track, or what? I'm just interested because I've heard a lot of people obviously that film would be heat, and the others are just good for all small bits and bats. But i was just interested because I've, I've heard that argument come up on Letterboxd a few times and mm. on Twitter. So I just want to know what you two would have, would have thought to that.
0: I mean, I definitely disagree with that. I think, I mean, I think overall as a filmography, I would say most of them probably are more middle of the road to bad. But I think, like, for sure there's at least three to four or five, like, masterpieces in there. Um, Again, like, I think, man, in general, when I look at him, I wouldn't say, like, he's for me one of the best filmmakers of all time. But, like, those highs are undeniably some of the highest of highs, like, I think you get. So I would disagree with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's like three genuine masterpieces in terms of like just grander cinema. Thief, Heat, Collateral. And then you get to the more like, well, love Miami Vice, you know? Miami Vice is sweet. I love Manhunter. Manhunter doesn't
0: do it for you? Manhunter
1: does it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I wouldn't put it in like masterpiece level. Like I'm I'm watching (laughs) Thief and like vibes are immaculate. Manhunter, sweet movie, love it. But it's not Thief. Like, Thief is upper level. For me, it's like, yeah. Right. I, I think after that, it's it depends from person to person. But yeah, yeah no, that's, a,
0: that's a. Not to compare our favorites, but like, I think when we talk about the filmography of like Friedkin, which we talked about earlier this year, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, nearly, there's some misses for sure, right? But like, there's so much consistency in him making masterclass work where it's like, that's such an elevated filmography. I don't think man's that level, right? We're talking about him, we have two to three that we like, but like, um, I, I do think he's, like, above average. He definitely is, like, good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at Freakin', you look at his 70s work, you've got, what, The French Connection, Sorcerer, and um, and The uh, the Exorcist. I think that rivals Coppola's 70s. It's that good. But yeah. Malik's uh, no Malik. Oh, sorry. I think Mann's filmography would be the 90s with Last of the Mohicans, Heat, and The Insider. And I think if you look at other directors of that time, ultimately it becomes the video market, doesn't it? So it becomes Tarantino, Kevin Smith, um, and, and uh, like again later on is in, in re re showcasing the, the next generation of film school being watching films uh, more so in, in a in a blue collar environment. But if you look at the big budget stuff, I don't think Scorsese hits near as, as deep as he probably could have done with the nineties. Uh, in, in certain oh shit, I should not no that's bollocks because that's good fellows in casino I do apologize. Um but I think bar what's let uh, I'm just yeah <laughs> what a what a credible witness I am now. Um uh, no, I'll, I'll take that back. I'll take that back completely. I think his early 90s work is, is pretty good. I think when you get to Bring Out the Dead, which is very distinctly different, and but there's like Kundun and stuff. I think it's like, ooh, that's, that's a, a bit of a mixed bag, but definitely with Casino and Goodfellas. Michael Mann is probably the second person I would put there on, on a on a big scale. I don't, wouldn't have thought I would have put Scott in there, either one, actually, even though I think Ridley's probably more of the, the larger... Um, director in boasting big productions and, and then you go to the 2000s and i just think he just digitalizes work and just forgot about that texture unfortunately so that's where it comes down but I've, I've i've just seen a few two people make that claim and thinking okay interesting i also think god this is going to get very political here oh, i don't know if i say this i will do if you want to cut this out feel free um i know you won't do because you'll but, but don't leave me to the wolves I also think Michael Mann is a director, consciously or not, and I, it's probably more subconscious. He's, he's all, oh God, this is is all? Of course, it's going to get very bleak here. But stay with me, please. I think he's consciously um, uh, a director who's been quite. How do I say this? Um, oh, how do I say this now? Stay with me. Stay with me. Influenced by post nine eleven, I think when you look at him as a filmmaker he he then goes on paranoia and he looks at issues within the state. He looks at you know, granted, I think he has done before, but it's all been procedural television. I think if nine eleven doesn't happen, I don't think he makes collateral. I don't think think he makes Miami Vice. Um and I think those two films come after a very big um incident in American culture as well as history. The, the 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 breach in cinema influence uh, again the Dark Knight trilogy, which ultimately is influenced by Heat, secondary is, is quite interesting, but he's definitely a director who had a second wind of, of wanting to subconsciously. I don't know if he if he would necessarily admit this. Perhaps he would do. Perhaps he wouldn't. Knowing his background in 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 procedural units with the police and stuff like that, I think his politics would and definitely from being from Chicago would influence a certain um, viewpoint of the world, undoubtedly. Um, but I think that the influence of that event has undoubtedly changed his perspective on looking at uh, cinema. And, uh, Miami Vice is an interesting one, because when you look at that, as I know this is going to a Michael Mann thing now, but it, it just indulge me, please. I do it, but apologise. I do this every week. But that self-absorbent look into American politics, because I read about Miami Vice and when it first came out, because I remember renting it and thought, this is absolutely shit. And then we did a gems a few years ago and we did we I watched both versions. I think I did the underrated director's cut, which is a completely different film of how it frames it. But I remember Colin Farrell pointed a view and said it, he had a very miserable experience on that film because he thought he was signing up for something that would be like not lethal weapon, I'm gonna quote him here, but it would have a bit of fun. And um when you look at that film, there's no fun there. It <laughs> it's it's again, it's entertaining, but there's no sort of contextual fun. There's no very much. No yeah, no, yeah. It's a it's a very much clinical in the in the sense of um we're gonna watch two men fight for their for their uh base in Florida, Miami, which again is a is a red state to begin with. Um it's interesting the politics of it, I'll say. And then you look at you you he outgrows that when he gets into public enemies, and then it's interesting what he talks about there as well, in sense of looking at an individual who's fighting against the state-backed police force, its own army viewpoint, which is twisted. Then he's he's like a modern-day Robin, modern Robin Hood. It's interesting how he's twisting that as well. Then you look at Black Hat, which is political espionage. Again, um, looking at the stock exchange, and then you look at that with the nine eleven event, not to sound like I'm deep into this at all. I'm not... q on anyone. Don't, don't, don't email the show in. We're not supporters or anything. Just got to say that, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, buzzword or anything, but it's interesting that you look at that politics in those films, as well, as, as sublimable as they are, as subconscious as they are, then you look at Ferrari, I got back to it in the end, I don't think Ferrari is on the same wavelength of wanting to communicate that Michael Mann subconscious element, and the reason for that is that A, it's 30 years in the making, so it's a, it's a Michael Mann who, is, who was trying to make this film in 2000, which is 23 years ago, but also it's a film that doesn't really have much politics in itself, aside from a um, a, a societal one of uh, gender, I think, is interesting to look at. Again, I think I think you both mentioned this of how it how it construes Penelope Cruz's character to be quite one note as powerful it is impacting. It's it's a woman dealing with grief, and what does she, what does Shailene Woodley do? She cooks, she cleans, and she looks after a kid. That might be Italian patriarchy. Uh, uh, that Nick will have to question himself on that. I don't know, but it's there are very different themes to me that was an admit. Not to push back on you saying that he's a he's a he's a filmmaker who is done. But I do think in a sense he has pushed himself to make a different film in the fact that there's very little political underbelly here and it's more so a dynamic of character. And I like that. I think that's why I like it. I like the fact that it's a screenplay that's obviously had multiple revisions, but the 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 I, 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 the identity of it comes from a two thousands look trying to look at characters and i think ali is very similar in a way that it's political yes but it's trying to look at one character and the political fallout is secondary and and and, and, and like a like a triangle a pyramid sorry here i think it's very similar and it's interesting that ali is it's often presumed as to be the lackluster one in the in after after the inside in 2001 and then he goes again into the big 9-11 type i know i'm going deep into this but I paid for a, a, a fucking MA in Newcastle. They owe me something. I can talk on this podcast about it. Uh, that's that's my sentiments entirely. So I, I would disagree about you saying that he he's a filmmaker that hasn't evolved. Maybe he hasn't evolved within the cinematic um, landscape as what I mentioned before. But I do think this is a this is a director trying to then take it back to uh, the roots of of looking at um, just character. I mean, Jericho Miles very political thief is quite political with the Chicago, so maybe more so less than anything else. Manhunter extremely. Um, Miami Vice, I, I, again you go you go further into it. This one is about a person, a damaged person, which I I, I find uh, unique to his filmography, perhaps even like Manhunter, weirdly enough. Uh maybe waffling here, but I don't know how you two would, would find that perspective. That's just a film um student talking there. That's someone with a, with an MA, so fucking hell Someone's going for a PhD here. You can at least chop in and and give me a, a something back on that. I don't know. What would you think, both of you? The-
0: I mean, he's kind of pulling a reverse Schrader, right? I mean, like, yeah. I think Schrader is very, very influenced by 9-11. Go check out, and Jack, you were not hallucinating in our Exorcist prequel episode of Uncut Gems. I did make the claim that the Exorcist prequel from Schrader directly did come from 9-11. So like, it was I bad, do There's a bad time like, for me as well. So yeah. <laughs> right, right. So like, as Schrader goes on in his filmography, I think it just gets more and more political. So he's kind of creating, like, I agree fully. I think 9-11 people are really underrate in general and culture. And maybe it's mm. because I kind of teach about it at times. Like, people underrate how big of an effect it has on culture. And I think it's very clear within certain people's filmographies. The one thing is like, I don't know. It's weird to, for me to view that narrative and then say Ferrari is an evolution. Cause for me, it feels like then like a reduction of his voice and what he's aiming for. Um, i I go back to nick's question it kind of struck me nick where you were like what am i gonna take away from this and i was thinking like in a year right when this is available on the back of air like plane seat (laughs) what am (laughs) i going to remember about going to see ferrari like how is this film going to touch me and what it gave me and i think the extent of what it truly gave me in the long run is that i got to go to a theater i got to buy a ticket and i got to see michael Mann's name in the credits that i was leaving because i leave immediately after the runtime ends so like I, I don't think the film has much beyond that. I, I f- would be curious for an exercise, like what you guys would think. And Nick, please also respond to Jack and his 9-11 <laughs> conspiracy theory. But I'm very curious what you guys would say. To, like, what would your, <laughs> what would your reaction be if this was not Michael Mann? And this was just a random director who like just released this film. Cause I feel like a lot of why we're giving this time and credit and attention is because of the man name like napoleon Agreed. i i disagree i think napoleon probably wouldn't have been on our schedule if it wasn't for scott but the conversation we had of napoleon and the worth we found in that is not because it's a ridley scott film it's because of things within the actual feature not to trigger anyone who hated napoleon who's listening um but i i just i don't know i think it's a very curious conversation but nick so we've kind of thrown like large scale questions at you respond to something please Oh as far as the like
1: nine eleven question goes, I can totally see that, um even just yeah the way he embraced digital filmmaking and there's all this paranoia in these future films and this yeah criticizing the American government in ways as well and policing and all of that. I can totally see that um yeah, this does feel like um like a reduction, I think you said, Carson, I think I like that, yeah, but. Eesh. I don't know how I would feel if this were not, like, same exact movie, just directed by someone else. I probably would... I don't know. I'm gonna say I might like it the same, maybe slightly less, or maybe slightly more. You know, if it's, like, a newcomer, it's like, holy shit, look at those action scenes. Yeah, story was whatever. But then there's there's expectations, which, which, which are understandable, I think, like... You're you're making your fourteenth feature film after 40, 30 something years of making movies. Like there's it's understandable there's expectations there for for a certain type of brand of quality in a way. But this made me think of another movie that we mentioned. I think in like uh, rapid fire reviews, and you mentioned Friedkin, and I'm thinking about his last movie. You know, it's a movie that stripped down, just stripped back people talking in a courtroom and that's it for like 99% of the movie with 1% in another room and the corridor and that's it. I like okay it could have easily been like a fluke like one of those movies like ah, it's, it's, uh, you know it's like oh, a, a movie made explicitly for it wasn't actually Showtime but it was like still like made for TV movie and the mute, Kane Mutiny court martial just stellar stellar it does what it has to do brilliantly it fits perfectly into his filmography he actually managed to inject some memorable performances at work it has an ending that's 100% Friedkin like the way that movie ends is excellent and the fact that it's going to be like the last scene of any movie of his ever is just, in my opinion it's going to be remembered by fans as well as people remember like the ending of Eyes Wide Shot and the final line it's like oh it's perfect and I'm thinking, like, knock on wood, crossing finger, Like, something happens to Michael Mann. It doesn't make it. dude. This is going to be his last movie. I was like, ah. It's Ferrari, you know. You've triggered, you've triggered me
2: there. I'm got, so, <laughs> 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 and this is going to be, like, three hours long. I'll say this, right? The, the first thing oh, is, I, I find it interesting that we're talking about reductive in the sense that I, I don't see it as a, as a filmmaker, perhaps, trying to echo... Um, the past in, in filmmaking exploits, I think he he's definitely had t- 10 years out and I think he's trying to go a different direction in not in a, going into visceral because that's his operandi, but more so look at a character study and I don't think that's necessarily reductive for me in the sense of perhaps wanting to watch Heat 2 or The Insider or something like like, like that. I, I think it's a very different type of animal. The thing about William Friedkin is that William Friedkin, and he's, he would say so himself, is, and not to shit on your opinion here at all, I'm, just, I'm going to fight back because this is the, 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 the £9,000 in my head that's saying, just fucking come on. Um, uh, I, I do think that he's a filmmaker who's an ult- ultimate and utterly inspired by Citizen Kane. And if you watch Citizen Kane and you watch The Sorcerer and you watch The Exorcist, not necessarily The French Connection, but you definitely watch Kane, Muni, uh, Cot Marshall. Um, they're films that allow the camera to dictate everything. It is a filmmaker's wet dream in the sense of they understand everything on the pit on the page. I let the cattle do that; they'll do it. They're actors, by the way. You can do that, but my job now is I'm going to position you here, and I'm going to cut here, and I'm going to cut there, and I'm going to I'm going to pan here and pan there. That is a sign of a, of, a, of a an artistic director who who understands the power of the lens. So William Friedkin was always going to do that. I think I think you look at court Marshall, and I'm going to this can be hyperbolic here. But you look at The Exorcist, right, and this is going to be this fucking blow people's minds, I'm sure. I don't see, be ready for this now, I don't see much evolution between those two films when cinematic craft. And that could not be more of a generous sentiment to that director in that I think The Exorcist is a perfect film. I really do. Let me just go here, let me go here, because I think it's a perfect film of how it's crafted. Every lens, every pan, every crane, Every cut is perfect in that film, and the exact same is in the Kane count, uh, Mount, the Kane County March, we'll call, whatever it's called. Uh, UTD Course Marshal. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> that shows the talent of a filmmaker who understands what he wants to get on screen, and the, the 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 power that he had understanding that at 87 years of age is is fundamentally flawless. But he's a filmmaker who was raised with the fact that. His his influences were extremely similar in the fact that why do I use a Dutch angle to show my character on screen? What is that trying to evoke? And then went with that and did it in his own way uh, with the Dutch angles, with with his pans, with his zooms. Michael Mann is not a director like that. I think Michael Mann is a director where a character walks out on a street on a street with a, with a a, um, a score from a from a, a fucking keyboard. With neon lights in Chicago, where it's cold, there's water on the ground, and there's a full moon there. That is a visceral sense of Michael Mann. It's not necessarily how he gets the stuff on on the on the on the screen. That's not his issue. It's what's going to be on the screen. I think the two very different filmmakers, in a sense. So when I look at Ferrara, I don't necessarily look at it as in a sense of oh my god, he's used a pan, he's used it, it, uh, he's used. Uh, a crane shot here. Uh, he he does very interesting stuff with his edits, where it, oftentimes it just cuts to black here or it fades to black. It doesn't need to be. I don't think he's a director who's necessarily encompassed with the with the the form of cinema and his framing of it. I think he just wants to have a visceral lens of can I can I see this? Can people understand this without without dialogue? Can you can you feel this? Can you feel it burn in the background? That cigarette that James Caan inhales in the diner. Can you feel that burn on his lips knowing that if he doesn't do this job, he's in the shit? Can you understand that the black eyes around Jamie Foxx and, and um, Colin Farrell and Mammy Vice, does that say to you, does that speak to you? Does, does Robert De Niro's decision of going down a tunnel in the, in the space of 20 seconds in staying with, with his girlfriend or being clinical and, and, and going back to finish the job, does that speak to you? It's all through a visual lens. So I think the two different beasts I, I, again, I'm not necessarily saying that Ferrari is on those lines of being a visceral treat in the sense of what's on screen. doesn't have it, it lacks texture, but that, that is what I, I would suggest to that. The other thing right is, is interesting what Carson said Carson exactly is exactly the person. and I said it would happen with heat too. It's happening now. I think a lot of people like Carson and are going to watch this because it's Michael Mann. And I'm not saying that's a detriment to you, Carson. I know that you, you you watch these new releases regardless. But I think there's a lot of people who went to go see this, perhaps out of pity or wanting to. Oh, Michael Mann! There. Let's watch it. I think if J a, J a Beona or or James Mangold or fucking Simon West made this, I don't think anyone would watch this. I just don't think it has that bite. It doesn't have that. That where is it? Where are the posters? Why are the trailers on television? You know, I think it's just a director who's, who's at a certain point in his life now where he's taken 10 years out, gone back into it. I hope to God he doesn't go into television because that will kill me. That I, I hate to see that. He's too much of a visceral lens to do it. Um, but that I think it's already happened then, if that's the case. I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's been loads of people. My, my sister wants to go watch this. Why? Oh, because like Michael Mann, he did, he did uh, Les Mohicans. No one's bothered about Ferrari itself, is it? So the question then on upon that goes into, and again, back to you two, we've, this is what we're discussing about, what Carson said. What then is the draw to watch this for an average audience? And and if I had to be clinical here and go back to Carson's point, nothing. And maybe maybe, maybe that is um, the most horrid take to, to take. To take, to take, to take, but um, I think it's true. I, I, I would, I would find anyone hard pressed who went into this not knowing who Michael Mann was, and not and going into Spider and thought that was amazing. I think a lot of people will come out on this, and there'll be one word, and they'll say underwhelming.
0: Yeah,
2: I think there's a, there's a lot out there at the cinema now. Where I mean, James Mangold did it with Ford v Ferrari. I think, I, I think we both agree. I don't know about Nick, but I think it's pretty fucking great film as well. I think it's probably a five star film. Gets everything right. Um, Ford Michael V Ferrari? Man- no, 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 no. F- Ford V Ferrari. Yeah, James Mangold's film, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is excellent. Yeah. Do you not like it, Nick?
1: Yeah, it's good. Oh, I've only okay. seen like the one time like this... in 2019. But... That's not the, We
0: yeah. don't need a review. Yeah, it, yeah, but yeah, yes it is. <laughs> but but, uh, <laughs> but the idea
2: of that that if a, if a director can go make that story James Mangold who did what Logan, a completely different film before it and then would go and do Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, a completely different film afterwards <laughs> and you look at Michael Mann at Ferrari who is a visceral director. And it still underwhelms. It doesn't deal deal uh, deal me with a great set of sympathy for a person who, you know, I, I went in there to want to be blown away by Michael Mann, and if I don't find Michael Mann in that film, what is the emphasis to go watch? And I think I think Carson, that's what I, I, I just I, I agree. I think if this wasn't made by Michael Mann, I, you know, who's who's watching that Audi vs Lancia film? I'm i it for Clapper by the way, but who's going to go watch that? It's the same. No, I don't know who that's made by. No, no, no detriment to that film. It might be amazing.
0: This is a Michael Mann film. This is the only reason why it was at Venice. You know? I think the tragic part of that, and I'm going to be like very blunt here, and I'm not saying this is obviously our opinion. I think we all care about Mann, is that no one gives a fuck about Michael Mann either. 10 I years, like 10 years out, man. Adam man. Driver the biggest draw for this film is adam driver and that says something because that's not even that huge of a draw Mm -hmm. michael mann chose to take a break of filmmaking at probably the worst point he can as far as being relevant to new audiences Mm. in the film um i think that this is an underwhelming film to where people are not going to get back on board of the michael mann experiment if you go into the michael mann filmography of the 2000s i think you're probably going to be underwhelmed i think that the High, like the ideals of the 90s of man are not necessarily the ideals that are going to speak to film, Twitter, or that group who are really passionate about film. I think Michael Mann is a filmmaker who's just like, failed to catch on, took a break where he became irrelevant, to be honest, and this is his chance to jump back in and if this was amazing, people might be saying or amazing in the sense that they would respond to, I think people would probably be more kind to revisit Mann and kind of lift him up again, but I just don't think that's happening. I think Michael Mann, for the average person, including like the average person on film Twitter, is just an irrelevant name they've heard on lists of really great filmmakers that they don't like, they don't care about and I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Michael man i agree is the draw of this film should be the draw of this film i think the fact that it's doing so underwhelming compared to something even like napoleon that we talked about is a statement to how he is as a drawing power which is not very good which you can say is tragic i don't think any of us like you know we're all here we're talking about ferrari right but like i just think it's sad to see but i think that's just the reality of the world we're living in is that these people do not care about michael mann
2: I I couldn't yeah.
0: argue against that. I think that's
2: not to like to go down that tangent, but I couldn't argue against that. And and you know, it's interesting about those ten years because this has been a thirty-year project. It's taken twenty-three years at least to get to screen from its first um, draft in two thousand. I I think that he, again, good to go up to my point about a director having an issue with with the state of of Hollywood. I think this has been coming for a long time. If you read about the history of Mammy Weiss and how it was horrific to shoot. There was hurricanes. He, he, he had this approach of perhaps being hot shit off collateral. Perhaps he, he wouldn't admit this or anything like that, not that he would listen to this. I hope he wouldn't. Anyway, because I don't think we'd be very kind. But, but it's the truth that anyway, I, I think he was a director who went into that film thinking, I'll push these fuckers as far as I can go. You've got an actor who won an Academy Award, and you've got another actor who was in Alexander, who understands that working with a big director wasn't his cup of tea. Pushing them to to go in, to Paraguay with a hurricane, enforcing, trying put putting them through fake at the time real drug busts, um, and then again putting them in, in in boats on water with with issues of drowning, drownings stuff like that. I think you've got they were going to shoot the ending in Paraguay. Jamie Fox went fuck that. I'm off. This is not liable. This is this is fact. Went to the states. Said I'm not getting on a plane again. You shoot the ending here, or you don't have one. Held Universal and him to ransom, then they shot what they had. The film comes out, theatrical bombs, doesn't do very well anyway, makes his director's cut, with a little footage is a far fi- a superior film, has the same somewhat issues. And then you've got Public Enemies, which I've got first hand, second hand um, information about how that was on set. We're looking with Prima donnas, and what's happening in the public eye now shouldn't become as a shock. I think then you get to black hat, and you you work with someone up and coming who's worked into a model of the the, the Marvel Enterprise, working with someone who's like, do you not understand what I'm trying to get here? And this this actor's like, well, um, why am I why am I like really big and I'm in prison because that's what you are. Get on with it. Let's make a film. And they're having issues with that. I think it's it's a director who for quite some time has had this prolonged lapse of having difficulty with the studio system. And very much like directors, what we've mentioned, Nick, you've mentioned a few, um, Carson, you've mentioned a few, where they fall out of love. What did they all end up doing after, like, like Terry Gilliam's one, for example, is that made loads of films, did somewhat well, and then made mediocre films, and then people stopped giving him money. So what did he go do? He went to go make Don Quixote after Zero Theorem that no one went to go watch. And what has he done since? And I think this is the same sentiments that Michael Mann is that he's at a point where he's been brought up within the lack of a studio system, but then came about in the late 70s, 80s, darling in the 90s, um, be- began to have issues by with the studio system in the 2000s, although a pioneer of digitalization, which old-heartedly kept him in the um, the zeitgeist. And then after that is then blown up with Attack of the Clones and the Star Wars thing. And what else is there really to blow him up to? And it's then the issue of the star. And I think Ferrari's probably a, Maybe he wouldn't say it, and maybe this would hurt Nick, is what he said. Maybe this is the swan song, maybe this is the unspoken, I'll get one over on you and I'll make the film that I want to make, and that's it. Perhaps that's the identity. Would that be a crying shame, wholeheartedly? But I also think those 10 years, I don't think they were necessarily um, self-induced. I think partly so, to get away with it, work in, in smaller um, teams on with HBO with Look and then which got cancelled because it mistreated horses. Then to go and, and do bits and bats and here and there and then to get back into um, Tokyo Vice, which season two has just sort of like died of death because you've got an absolute arsehole in, in and that, that, again that's not liable. I've had a drink, um, so you know, it's, it, I think it's just a formula of. I don't know if you two have ever heard this, but uh, are you two aware of a, a, a director called John Frankenheimer? Yeah, of course. Made Ronin, made... made um, Seconds. Uh, yeah, Ma- yeah, Mancuring. The, candy, the Yeah, the, Yeah, are yeah, Berkland. Ranger Lancaster, yeah. Games. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well, we'll leave that there. I didn't think <laughs> we are going to bring that one up. But he's a great example of, of, um, of a studio using him as a principal force on a film set in that I am the lead, I am the mastering commander, everyone salutes me, I'm the boss, and this is my world. If you don't want to get involved in it, you can fuck off. And that's essentially the idea, I think, what Michael Mann was in a sense of, this is my film, I'm the leader, trust me. And, the, and for a long time, it was the same returns. But then John Frankenheimer does do, the, the gets involved in Dr. Moreau and just sabotages himself and then goes to uh, make an Exorcist prequel and then dies before it, which is weird how we get back to that as well. Um, but his time was up in, in, in how that is dictated to. Because when he made Roan in 98 which would have been a year before Dr. Moreau. Um, He worked with the likes of Jean Reno and and specifically Bobby De Niro, my mate. Um, And I think he he uses the old school uh, clientele of understanding the director as a hierarchy. I think it's different now. I think the star has too much power. and I think Michael Mann is a director who can't bond with that because, well, the star then can go get 50 million from somewhere else. What's the point? I think there's a particular reason why people will work with Scorsese because it's working with Martin Scorsese. And it used to be the same sentiment We're working with old actors about the people who would go work with Marlon Brando and then would hate it, but they got to work with Marlon Brando. I think it's like a badge of honour. And I think Michael Mann now, I think he's lost that. that. Those 10 years have been detrimental. I know this is very long-winded. I know I'm saying that a lot, but that's that's my my viewpoint of him now in that Again, it's old Hollywood versus new Hollywood, and if Ferrari is what you get, that might be good for Michael Mann, and it might be good for Michael. Michael Mann stands like myself, and who really do engage with that sort of stuff. But for for the the, the more larger audience, again, you, you say if you're on, if you're on a plane, like Carson said, which is a great great example, and you've got six films that are brand new out, and you've got you know classics. Who buys this? Day one on Blu-ray. Who buys the digital version of this film? You know, just the stains. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think the time has probably come, and and it's horrible to see someone on on the, on high ground. You know, William Friedkin had to go make Bug and had to go make Killer Joe, which were very small, down-to-earth films that were camera work with character-driven actors and directors who wanted to work with the guy who made The Exorcist. The same is probably now with Michael Mann. But the interesting thing is, what what does Michael Mann do next?
0: Heat 2 and then nothing else ever. Yeah. And why go, that why is go too back old to French. the world? Why go back?
2: <laughs> you made the book with Med Gardiner. He did very well. Nick's read it. I've got it um, on my phone. I'll read it to some time. You know, you've done it. Why go back to that well? Why why find that so important to have a look at that you've made the definitive cop versus robber film, you know, that, that has influenced... The major players of today, Nolan, why go back to that and, and disrupt it? That to me is, and I hate to say this, but again, Carson said it, with being blunt. That's someone who is A, a lack of passion, B, a lack of insight to what's next, and C, does not want to play ball with anyone, else, with anyone else's toys. Those three things do not work in modern Hollywood. They do not work. Which director could could say that? Scorsese, it can't even get funding for anything. Had to go to Netflix for The Irishman. Paramount balked at it. Kills of Flower Moon balked at it. You know, if David Lynch can not get a film made at Netflix for six million dollars, and they're going to go to red notice and whatever that whatever that stuff was with uh, with Gal Gadot, out of stone, whatever it is. These filmmakers and we spoke about this a lot in the points. So I, I do appreciate we're going over all ground here, but what is the emphasis now of Michael Mann going forward? Is it retreating to the past, and then you fuck up that? Can he can can he do anything distinctively different with the with the framing of of um, Heat Two aside from make it a prequel sequel, which again goes again back to the remnants of the Godfather Part Two? What what are we going there for? I don't want to see Adam Driver as uh, as Neil Macaulay. Like I'm I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. I don't want to see someone play Val Kilmer in a in a film which Val Kilmer was excellent in. I don't want to see someone play you know i out young you and Al Pacino, and that's 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 someone who's a massive fan of this person i'm in a really weird place now and i can imagine he is as a director is that i don't know if you two have ever felt this in a, in a director but you know it's it's not done but but the the writing is so clearly on the wall i'd be i'd be fucking flabbergasted for him to sit down and give you a 10-year plan you know,
1: <laughs> well, I mean,
2: <laughs> but, but, he, but he's sixty. He's sixty years old. I, 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 I think he's seventy-one. Actually, apologies, but you know, he might be older. Apologies, not to say that there's anything wrong with it. We just watched an eighty-nine-year-old absolute storm the fucking world. He's and eighty-one, I... like very soon. <laughs> so... What's left for an eighty-one filmographer as a, for, as a director to make that doesn't influence a guy's more than Michael Mann? I don't think he's a director who's ever got his flowers. Ferrari doesn't certainly help. But it feels like the family plot to Alfred Hitchcock fans who who accept it, who like it. But know it doesn't touch on Vertigo or Psycho or or, the, or or you know anything. I'm just trying to make Alfred Hitchcock references there. But you know, I don't know how you two, I don't know if you two have got any film film directors close to you who are like that. You know, I don't know. That's I, my opinion I, of it. I know I've just rambled there, but
1: I just I mentioned what, him before, but it's the Palma for me. Like was seeing what was in the, the like the lesbian. Oh no, passion! Oh, pa-
2: passion's pretty fucking good, actually. Let's just let's behave ourselves, here yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, well, okay. I'm happy for you, Chuck I don't made like it. sense. Like that's when you start feeling like. Uh, oh no, uh, I agree there I agree something's off. There. Something's off. If I was it him, to, like, yeah, I would
2: I would say passion is eerily similar to 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 Ferrari in, in an interesting sentiment of old ideas. New, new visual prowess. Nothing has changed. I will give you that one completely.
1: Yeah, that's probably the, the main one I can think of. Um, but it's... it's Yeah. I, I, I think it's just done. I think it's just done for him. Especially in the current landscape. If he cannot work on a smaller budget, he has to deliver an experience. Like That's what we figured out in the past two years, post-pandemic. People want to go to the movies for experiences, which isn't necessarily just spectacle itself, but it has to justify going out to the movie theater. And I think it's crazy that we had Ford v Ferrari 2019 be a super big commercial success. And then you get another movie that's basically like, Hey, come watch cars race. And it doesn't sell because I do generally think like, like you mentioned, like the marketing terrible, like in selling this movie and stars don't sell movies anymore. Unless you're like Tom Cruise or something stars don't sell movies. It's either the brand or it's the experience. Like people want to yeah. experience something. And there is not much to experience here, <laughs> which is a shame. In In yeah. terms of like a, 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 a wider appeal. A wider appeal. And I don't think it's going to work out with almost anything it's going to make. Like at this point, after the string of commercial failures and even critical failures, to be honest. It's not like he's winning critics left and right. Heat 2 has to be like, I, I don't know. No, I, it's not going to work. How does he even cast I, that? Oh, I, 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 I t- I, well, because like you said, like Godfather Part Two was made two years after the first Godfather. <laughs> People are still the same age, and then you can just get younger actors for other roles. Uh, freaking Irishman! It was an absolute behemoth of a production to have you know seventy and eighty year olds play forty and fifty year olds. Like he's not going to do that. He said he's not going to do that. Fair. So how are you going to do it? I don't know. Well, but, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's not going to be easy to accept because it's such famous faces in such iconic roles, like you said. Like it's so hard to separate the actors from the characters.
2: No. I I hate to say this. I'm going to shit on it, but I'm not going to shit on it, but I remember when when again I'm going to mention it again, shoot. Dial of Destiny. No, no, no. no. When, when when Resurrections came out, I know, I'm gonna, I'm just, that's all I'm gonna say. You had people going, I can't believe um, I'm making a Matrix film. I can't believe I'm making, like, I'm, I, I remember watching the original. And to me, I'm like, why can't you just accept that you're making a film and let it be it? Don't try and connect it to this tissue of being compared to its original. And the first thing that people are gonna say, I can see it now in the Vox box. I, I loved, it. Adam Driver's already doing it and doing it. What do you think of Heat? What do you think of Michael Mann's, oh, I love Heat. Oh, it's like, it's the pinnacle of his career, yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, I love it. And then when the set, set photos come out and people are working on set, people going, like, I can't believe I'm like working with Michael Mann on Heat, on Heat 2, what a privilege. And it will always come down to trying to evoke the idea of going back to the original, going back to the original, that's why they're all there. And it, it, granted, it's lovely to do that. And I I, I would, I, as a person who would love to be involved in those projects, that would be amazing, you know, because you're there. But you have to sort of love the passion of what you're making now. You're making a new film that, yes, has tissue to other stuff, but but really open up that and enjoy it. Like, I made a film with Michael Mann. It's amazing. But they will revert to heat, heat all the time. And I, For me, it's like it's so... It then becomes so biased, you constantly, like, cognitively think of the previous entry. Then you always subconsciously comparing them. And now, because of sequels, you have to contextually pair pair them. It's just, ugh, it's murky for me. But I was just wondering what you thought, Carson, about a director like that then. You'll have loads, I'm sure.
0: I love them all, but my, all mine are like winning. I was really trying to think of it, and like I think it's also the beneficial that like genuinely I am a little bit younger, and a lot of my people I follow are younger. It's like, but I just think like I don't know, none of mine are like dying and old. And, yeah, like yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott is winning, right? Yeah, like we're I'm fine. So I Schrader is still killing it, arguably more than ever before. So like I'm really you're even really good. You're just um, I will yeah. say though, if you are talking about supporting cast, that Resurrections comparison is stupid, and you know it. But yeah. other than that. Yeah. Have to say something um, to about
2: it, I? I will say this as well, right? Sure. I'm not, I know Nick's, I know I'm talking all in it, but I feel like I don't think we'll get an option to talk about Michael Mann for a while after this. So I'm going to have to go full, full head. It is interesting, and I'm not trying to read into the material here. And I know someone's already shit on this and he's called Nick. But don't you think it's very interesting that consciously or not, Michael Mann is suffering with the namesake of being Michael Mann and audience expectations of him as a person, how to create a product? And he's making a film about a man struggling with the identity of who he is and what the name means, trying to create a secondary product in order to get back into a market that is densely populated by other rivals who are faster, louder, brighter. Doesn't it just add a little bit more poetic blossom to to watching this experience for anyone? Doesn't it? I can see.
0: I did this with Oppenheimer. I can't do this again both with Ari. Like Sorry, he's
2: shaking the head. It's just so interesting to look at that vision for me, and and I can't help but try and <laughs> try and romanticize that as being an adequate and accurate depiction of what he's trying to do here. I don't think it is. I think they're just common courtesies of, of putting one on one together and getting nine, but. It's interesting how I see that. Perhaps I'm shooting up my ass here,
1: but <laughs> just trying to give it a bit more flavor. third theory always comes back in yeah. one way or
0: another. Yeah. <laughs> First he tried to find the five stars with 911. Now he's turned to this. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what's next.
2: Yeah, probably. would. Yeah, I'm not going to go any more to that.
0: Well, I think that kind of is probably wrapping us up on our Ferrari review. I don't know if anyone has final thoughts. We can kind of go around. Um I will say... A good film, not a great film. I have issues with it. Um, I'm happy we got it. I'm happy like in my lifetime, because genuinely we don't know if we'll get this chance again. I gotta go see a new Michael Mann film. Um, outside of that, pretty okay. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like if you are a huge Michael Mann stan, this will give you something. But I just I don't see why if you're a general audience member you have to rush to this. Though January is like so empty, you might as well if you're just looking for a theater experience, I guess. The sound design's really good. So I'll give you that. Nick, what are your final thoughts?
1: Yeah, definitely a movie that if you're going to watch it, just watch it in the cinema f- for the first time because it's just not going to be the same <laughs> on a, on a, on a, on, a, on a loudspeaker at home It's going to rock the foundations of your house. Um, but yes, it's it's a very painfully lackluster narrative, I think. it's just it's just too much. It's too much and does very little with it. I think it should have focused on one or two aspects a bit more and remove the third one just there's three different stories going on here cut one out and just reshape it um which is a shame but again like i said it's still a it's like a good movie in terms of like the way it's the work that's behind it and a lot of the side actors i i I like the casting here generally speaking even though patrick dempsey with white hair is just off-putting it just felt so wrong (laughs) just so so wrong um (laughs) But yes, it's just, I think that's ultimately why I had it among my most disappointing movies of 2023 for Clapper cast for the the year and discussion. It's because it's, it's, it's just okay. Like you watch it and you go like, "Ah, ah, ah." yeah, it's fine, you know. Just like that. With the squeaky voice included. <laughs> but otherwise it's, it's it should have been great. It should have been Return to Form. It should have been the, a celebration of sorts. And instead it wasn't. In a year that gave us so many of those moments. Like, holy shit Fable Months. Holy shit. Scorsese is back. Yes. Oppenheimer. Barbie. Like, people love certain directors. it's like, yes, they're back. With new banger features. And we didn't get it with this it's just like, it It hurts. It hurts.
0: Me with Saw 10, cinema's bag. <laughs> yeah, Saw uh, 10 is a better movie are... than Ferrari. <laughs> it's oh more consistent. Oh, well, hold on, hold on now. We don't need to into <laughs> I would oh. put Saw X above. Whoa. Hold on now. Because um, <laughs> you're not wrong. That's fine. Well, uh, I just saw it like shell shit, man, Like Tobin think... Bell plays yeah. Enzo Ferrari. <laughs> Something hit me there. Tobin Bell is better than Adam Driver, let's be clear. But...
2: I, think I need, okay. I need, uh, Jakob, but by my side here to sort of sense that bullshit out. I can't, I can't do it. Um, I, 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 like this film. Um, I'm enamored with it. I, I thought this was a cinematic experience that I really enjoyed. Um, categorically on that that cinematic experience, I don't think this will travel very well. Much like Gravity, in a sense that you can watch it in a cinematic experience and watching it at home, um, and it's the same sort of product but um, viewed in a very different way. Um. Granted, I think gravity is a bit of a different example, but in the sense of being able to watch this at home, you would need a five point one surround, so seven point one or something, just to, to 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 blow you um to blow you away. Um, I'm I'm sort of enamored with this as a venture. I waited ten years for this. I had to wait, and this is a this is a thing of mine. I had to wait what almost tw- two decades for a Matrix sequel that I, I didn't really expect I was gonna um. I didn't really understand what I was going to get didn't really get what I was going to get but it was enamored with the ideology behind it in a different way I had to wait 14 years for for an unbreakable sequel that I I didn't get to sort of experience in the right way and then was blown away in the cinema when I when I realized it and this is on those, those paths of of witnessing something um, and been enamoured with it and different reasons of waiting for, for quite long. So I think the expectation has been met with with what I expected this would, would be after after Black Cat and watching one of my favourite filmmakers make something deeply personal to them. Um, I do subscribe to the identity of this film, exploring identity, exploring grief, exploring who you are uh, and, 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 and understanding what you are, perhaps not to other people's um, uh, degrees of... Uh, uh, of uniqueness but I think there's something here I think on a visual level it sometimes can be incredibly striking I think on, a, on an emotive level it's here and then it's not and then it's here um, again I think that it has three sub stories that I, I found quite impacting on all three to a certain degree I think they work quite well where we go from here I don't know but like Carson said in 2023 or 2024 in fact I watched it this morning to go and watch a new Michael Mann movie, perhaps for the for the first and last time, um, in the cinema for me was uh, was majestic. Was the Freakin. Um I'm not going to try and say the title. It's just like a Tom the Kane.
1: The- mutiny. The Kane. Court the the- Marsh. Right, yeah,
2: yeah. There the you Kane go. caught mutiny. Mar- uh, Mar- Marshall, the mutiny, whatever it's called. But it's one of those ideas where you you watch a film and. I hate doing it. I did it with Tony Scott as well, where I watched Unstoppable, and I was like, we're not going to watch another Tony Scott film. And I'm doing it with Ridley Scott at the moment. Just watch Reve- um, I've got Revenge to watch for Tony, and I've got um, the film and Louise for uh, for Ridley, really? and then obviously Gladiator 2, and we'll see what else. It's those times where you watch something and you don't know if it's going to be the last time, and you're so enamored with these filmmakers. It's almost just a, a blessing in disguise to just watch these fil- filmographies. Um, and to watch Michael Mann's Ferrari, sort of fell deeply in love with it, maybe more so the idea not so the execution but I think cinema is a very visceral event anyway so I, I don't want anyone to sort of um, take that as a negative um, Yeah, I really like this, it'd be interesting to watch this again, like you said Carson, in a year, watch it on my TV and with, the, with the lights on in the background where it lights up red and, and stuff and and maybe, maybe there's more to pick from this in a few years time but I, I, I sort of slowly, I'm not falling in love with this, but I'm enamoured with the idea of it, um, and it just makes me want to watch, again, I watch Black Cat after this, in front I'm going to watch Miami Vice, the director's cut, and I'm probably going to watch Manhunter as well, and if a filmmaker can do that and exhibit those feelings of me wanting to explore their filmography, more power to them. So yeah, I, I really like this. I, I, I don't know if you do scores, but I'm going to probably shit a brick it. I'd probably give it a mid mid four star as well, probably give it like mid 70s. Um, it would drop. I'll say that. I think. I think it would drop. Even talking about it here on, on a on a on a theoretical level, um, on a cinematic level, and on a on a human level as well, it, it definitely has it teeters. Um, but we've been here. We've done this before with Black Cat, Miami Vice, and Public Enemies, and we all go back to them. Some of us more than others, and find something new. So maybe I'll, I'll. I'll. In a year's time, we'll come back and it'll be on our rapid reviews. I don't know, but um, yeah. I'm just glad that we got to see a Michael Mann movie again. (laughs) That's as good as I can say.
0: Yeah. I think that is a very big, important thing to say. And I think we're all pretty big overall man fans, whether or not you (laughs) like Ferrari or not, Um, which I think is a good transition to our question of the week where we're asking, what is our favorite Michael Mann film, a big filmography. Some people think he only has one good film, I guess, but I don't think any of us are in that boat, Jack, you're the stand. You can take it. And also let me be clear. I want one film for every person i don't want everyone listing the five good films he has being like it's one of these just give right. me one film that you know this well. we'll move on okay well
2: that that's actually fucking evil to do that because i knew you because we were talking about this on slack and you were like uh, that's the that's gonna be the question of the day and i read it and i was like you bastard right well it isn't Ferrara. <laughs> um oh this is tough i'm gonna be quite definitively i'm not i'm not gonna say the film everyone thinks as well i'm gonna go different let's have a look let's have a look He's struggling, I can see the sweat on his brow. Yeah, I'm in a Michael Mann film now. Al Pacino's.
1: What else?
2: Um, <laughs> fucking. I hope you two are struggling more than I am. I look. i just. This is dead air. I got like, mine ready.
1: I, I did I my own work. I'm not going for the four-letter one. Go That's it, just cheap.
2: That, like, and if you do that, will fall out of you. Can't do that.
1: You can't anyway, my things. favorite is Collateral. Right. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the first... I, I don't think. want to say, like, the, it's it's the first time I became aware of Michael Mann. Like, I'd seen The Insider, I'd seen Ali. It's, it sounds weird. Those are the first two that I watched of his. But then I saw Collateral, I was like, Holy, wow, okay, this is special. Um, and it's a movie that stuck with me. I must have seen it, like, four or five times since, like, 2013, 2014. And it's outstanding. I think it's it's one of my favorite Tom Cruise performances. I think the screenplay is tight, tight, more so than like any other of his movies. It's just so well written. The dialogue, the parallels, the symbolism, the metaphors, all of that. Uh, underrated supporting turn by Mark Ruffalo and Javier Bardem as well. Jada Pinkett Smith's pretty good. Just it's just it's just such an easy movie to put on and watch. He has a lot of those movies, but just Collateral. Yo homie, that's my briefcase. Poo-poo, uh-huh. poo. that's it. Just so raw. It's so raw without getting lost into like the tactical nature of something like Miami Vice or or even Black Hat, you know, where it's like, oh, all the action is like so clean. It's just a crisp digital look. That's also mixed with with film. Mm. Collateral. Collateral. It's it's hard because as I said before, there are others, but collateral is like if I had to pick just one forever. I'm a cruise head at the end of the day, so cruise. That's the extra points. Is that
2: Ted Cruz, that one, is it? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm getting into that keyword instead of cars, and come on. <laughs> I can't
0: go next. I, I, I go see on your review schedule that you have Sound of Freedom on there, is yeah, all it's just, I will say. <laughs> we'll get to that one for me i'm gonna go manhunter i think manhunter is like such an excellent uh bottle of intensity that builds and builds and builds um even the action at the end i was reading some reviews and people were like oh it's kind of underwhelming for me like the style of it i don't know it works for me i think that's just like from start to finish a really perfect feature um with some excellent excellent performances i really love manhunter so i'll stake my claim there you know, Jack, the right, you've just, I'm not going right, to go back on this
2: because you've just reminded me of something I, I don't like about Ferrara. On every one of these films this, this person can end on a fucking banger of a song. It's, it's, it's almost ethereal to listen to. Miami Vice does it. Last goes, Public Enemies does it. Heat does it with MOBA, The Insider. Ferrari is the one occasion where I was waiting for that Mogwai auto-rock just something to give me some substance and he doesn't do it and it it was, it was horrific. Right, I'm not going to go along very far I, there's four that's really annoying me here, um, <laughs> really annoying me. But I, I like, hey, you've got to give me something. <laughs> we have mentioned two films. I'm not going to say Collateral. I'm not going to say Manhunter. Although there were there, there's four. I have personal connections to these films. Really annoying me. Right. I'm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you number one, but I have to. I have to. I have to cheat. Give me this.
0: Okay. Right. Valid. Fine. Right.
2: <laughs> I've always adored The Insider because nothing happens in that film. Yet everything happens in it. It's paranoia to eleven. And what what um Nick said about Ted Cruz in I know him, in Collateral, I say the exact same thing for Russell Crowe. It's like so mm. out of character, and especially the same year as Gladiator's fucking crazy. Public Enemies, there's something about that film I, I, just, I fuck with. I love it. Francesca's my sister's favourite film is Last of the Mohicans. I've got something there, especially with a score. Lisa Gerard was back in this as well. I don't know if you both noticed that. Yes. We're Ferrari. Going for... Yes. I don't when he goes to the crash site she sings she does it definitely or, or it's probably a pre-issue of Elliot Goldfall's score that he's used I'm going to go for number one right and I'm going to re-review this tonight I've already mentioned it but I'm, going to, I'm this, is my, this is my number one this is my number one this is my number one because I can taste this film I've been in nightclubs where I, I've, I've smelt things I've smelt blood I've smelt sweat I've smelt cigarettes I've smelt other things and I can I can taste this film I can I can smell the Miami air I can smell the residue of gunshots I can I can I can feel the pain I can feel the the nights or the, the early early dusk mornings waking up when 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 night's fading and you're in a hotel room everything is glass the water's there I, this director's cut of Miami Vice is my favorite film of my my god that film fucks. and on every level every level it's it's hot it's sexy. It smells amazing. It's 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 textured. It's it's internal. It's exter- external. How long could these these things? It could never last. Colin Farrell has never probably looked good in the Armani in, in Armani pants and the loafers. Jamie Fox is egotistical, but it works. You can tell they don't like each other, but there's a sense of like fulfillment there. Um, Naomi Harris is in there. Eddie Marzen, <laughs> Kieran Hines. Oh my God! When they go to uh, when they have like, the soundtrack, nono nano point in their head tonight. When does it end? You know, auto rock by Mo, Mo, by Mogwai is amazing in it. Doom, 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 doom. Uh, That's my advice. It just—it's everything that encapsulates my advice. Especially the late two, mid 2000s as well. Uh, the director's cut when it opens up with the speed boats. It should never have opened up in the nightclub.
0: I'll say Max and Vincent, who is going to be on this episode, also agrees with you. This was his pick, and he wanted me to pass it on. Yeah. Um, sadly, had to drop out because we had a delay for a bit. But well, That would have gone on for um, too long. Episode. Yeah. Uh, so with that, man, thank you for a new film. You can check out Ferrari in theaters now if you've not already. Um, let's get to our rapid reviews. Everything we've seen recently um, that we've not covered in very brief, short, digestible chunks. Nick, you can start us off. What have you seen recently? Super rapid fire. The curse is almost over. Just amazing. Just
1: two episodes to go, Carson. Just two episodes. I don't know what's going to happen. It gives me a heart attack, like just a panic attack every time I watch it. Uh, But very briefly, like over the holidays, I caught up with a lot of movies. The only ones that are like worth mentioning, in my opinions, Fallen Leaves, Delightful, The Holdovers, Delightful, Saltburn enjoyable with you know calm it down i have problems i'm not gonna get into them because we're gonna be oh, here for five hours but it, i did enjoy it i'll say that it's like yeah, it was it was very watchable which I'm is fine. a plus to be honest uh boys afraid surprise like snacking into my top favorites of the year <laughs> 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 <Arthur loves it. laughs> that's what's done that's just done tonight <laughs> great film um uh what else i re-watched the batman the batman's pretty good you know it's always like oh shit this holds up blackberry holds up uh i saw the boy and the heron in the cinema oh first miyazaki like oh that, that's something we were talking about you know like older filmmakers getting the chance to see their movies in the cinemas like yeah. watching my first miyazaki on the big screen i was like oh it's so good such a such a good film such a good film um and lastly, I watched Maestro as well, May-December. Maestro was all right. You know, so it's just like, uh, could, could have been great. Could have been great. It's not. Uh, May-December, I really liked it. I I didn't love it. It's like one of those movies I kept waiting for the moment where I would be like, holy shit, it's so good. It just came shy of it. But just on a purely intellectual level, I really loved it. But for me, cinema is like gotta feel it here in the chest emotionally viscerally like the good michael madden movies (laughs) you know just something you feel here in the heart and in your soul and may december i never felt it here i always felt it here which is you know still good but yeah those are mine
0: love it oh no and gen v sorry i forgot
1: gen v the boys tv show (laughs) i like binged it in two and a half days um, I really enjoyed it. I was not expecting it. I do like the boys; don't love it. feels like it's all right. But the Gen V is like, ah, eh, it's cute. It's very cute. That's it. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. No, it's fine. Nice. Um, I've
2: been I've been watching, trying to watch the latest stuff of directors, and then I watch a lot of the old stuff to try and get my filmography done. So I watched. Uh, I had to go miles away to watch this, but I went to go watch *Silent Night*, John Woo film, which I, <gasps> I thought was I thought was interesting. I thought it was I thought it was mid, very mid tier, but. Um, that's an interesting one. John Woo and Michael Mann are very, I, I find really similar in leaving Hollywood and coming back and then trying to make a Hollywood film. It's very interesting. But then I watched his um, Just Heroes, which was interesting. I um, comment too. I don't want to talk about that. Um, theater Camp, I blew me away. I loved it. I, I, saw, it, nice. I saw it twice in two days. Um, loved it. And that's me and fall. I can't understand why people want to sort of dignify that with a five-star rating when it's essentially just absolute platonic atmosphere What's everything in that film is platonic although the dog snoopy is amazing and the the child actor uh kick on milo is outstanding i watched um wes anderson i don't know why i watched wes anderson's roll down netflix things like whatever what a waste of my time um i had to go quite far to watch these next two i watched dream scenario with dupus cage I don't know what people are not seeing in that film. I thought it was genuinely amazing. I think he's amazing in it. I think you you, you nailed it in your review, Nick, on um, on Letterboxd, about that's essentially a subtextual analysis of cancel culture. Him going to France, like Kevin Spears, I think it's like it's so interesting. And Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I it was, yeah, exactly. That was so interesting. Um, I right, watched Priscilla, the Sophie Coppola thing.
0: Hey.
2: Um, that would be interesting to talk about for like two hours. Um, I think... Sophie Coppola said that like uh, there, was about, there, was, there, was, there was scenes cut out of the screenplay because she, she couldn't get the backing to do it. I think those are sequences that would undoubtedly have helped that film, Tyler. It's a very cold film, but it's also a malicious one, so it sort of works, but I just thought it was good but not great. I'm going to pair it up with Marion Antone, if I can. Uh probably watch that with, with uh, someone I know. I don't want to watch that on my own. Just cause it, oh, no, Virgin Suicide, sorry, because that might be too grim to watch on my own, but... Um, I did watch Jericho Mile in preparation for this, which I thought was fucking really interesting. Looking at the political underbelly of his work, especially that was made for TV and then was sold to cinema. Fucking really interesting to look at that and now Ferrari. They work on very strange wavelengths, but they sort of intertwined. I did watch Pi, Darren Aronofsky's um, directorial mm-hmm. debut, in prep for the Whale. Um, it was very very good. I can't understand also why people don't see that as as a as a film that undoubtedly questions, and we're going to get into stuff here, but uh, mental illness and conspiracy, how they're conjoined and, and how the brain works, and ultimately what we're seeing now with the Guan and stuff and, and uh, Pizzagate and how people grapple into these to have a purpose. Very interesting. It's a good um, film, yeah. yeah. I watched Tony Scott's uh, Taking a poem, one, two, three. Oh, yeah, yes. I, I, I watched Spy Game as well, so I thought, fuck it, I'll, I'll pull that on for my parents. Right, but I did watch some Jackie Chan movies in January, because that's like I may need to rename that um, because I copied the list off someone and then didn't rename it. But I've been watching Police Story, the first one, and Mr. Nice Guy, and I've just been watching The Protector, but I didn't get to finish it. They're interesting films because the UK dubs are strange, and we don't get a lot of theatrical versions of those films. We get um, altered cuts. So I've always thought that First Strike was just its only film. It was like 87 minutes or 82 minutes. It's actually Police Story 4. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, so and that's 107 minutes, so it's I, I'm catching up on stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I watched uh, Black Cat in prep for this. Then I watched the director's cut by Arrow video because I felt that, obviously, we watched the bootleg version of the director's cut, so I watched the Arrow release. I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. I, I think it's definitely a four-star film. I felt it was very much like this in a sense of like being enamored with it. Um, perhaps there's stuff being poorly cast in there maybe, but I think it works. It's violent. I love the ending to it. Um, I love how it looks. I love how he he's doing like the Oliver Stone Snowden thing. Two directors trying to uh, be enamored with the digital age, but not be completely infatuated with it. It's very interesting to see how they identify it. Like Scorsese did with The Wolf of Wall Street. It's just interesting interest to in see directors of a certain, not necessarily demographic, but age, look at um, contemporary issues. It, it, granted, within context, obviously, sort of, you know, people who are assholes with money usually assholes with money throughout time, but. Um, digital age is very interesting, and that's really it. I've got a lot to lot to get o- over. I've got some. I'm watching One Life, Night Swim, and anyone but you in the cinema this week, if I can be asked. I'm going to watch Eileen if I can do, because um, I'm going to review that for Clapper, the Audi vs. Lancia movie. I'll get to that, um, but I've got a lot, I've got Godzilla to watch, May, December, Society of Snow, I've got to watch The Clapper as well, if he had mid things, Maestro yet to watch, Holdovers, Bowie's Afraid, Carson's Favour, and Bones and all, and also The Whale and The Fablemans, I'm going to try watch in the next couple of weeks, uh, I know that wasn't rapid, I do apologise, it being horrific this, this episode, so just send all the hate mail to me, sorry Carson.
0: You're good. We're finally done with 2023, which means I've seen a lot of the, like, December releases. Um, I saw Ava DuVernay's Origin, which I thought was really inspired. Definitely, like, it reads, like, a Carson Tamar thesis paper where it's very, very ambitious and it tries to have this really large narrative. And there's a point in the film where a character literally is like, as a character is like describing basically what the film is about. And they're like, I'm not sure if I see the connection, but if you make me see it, I would really value it. And I don't think the film ever fully makes you see the connection, but like it does feel like there's something worthwhile it's getting at. Kind of happy Max isn't here because he loves Rebel Moon Part One. Um, I'm just saying I'm happy I took it off the Clappercat schedule because that thing was atrocious um aquaman was not good but i will say genuinely the joy i felt leaving that theater knowing the dceu is dead i never have to do it again it's over everyone did you clap? cheers <laughs> i clapped i cheered i had a shot as i left you know all the good stuff um anyone but you i'm a little confused why everyone is so angry at this film because it's never once promoted itself as being anything but being a dumb rom-com and it definitely is a fun dumb rom-com com um i also saw silent night I will say over the holidays there was one day where I went through a really emotionally bad time so I double featured my neighbor Totoro as just joy and then I was like I want to just go see some dumb violence in action so I watched Silent Night and maybe it was because I was like sobbing during it but I hated the film I thought it was absolutely atrocious Um, what a dumb concept that never works not for me but also I don't like John Wu in general so like take you know I'm a clapper cast girly again I don't I'm not part of the uncut gems universe so take that how you will Um, and then just as a joy because every once in a while and it was the new year and there really wasn't anything to watch and every once in a while i'll just be like i want to watch a shark attack movie so i watched the shallows for the first time and i must say kind of blown away normally when i get that urge i am like the film is absolute garbage and it's awful and terrible this film is not perfect i think especially the third act it ends kind of rapidly um but how they use the shark how they use the drama how they use the filmmaking the cinematography the visuals um i was kind of like stunned by this if you are in the mood ever just to watch some like shark violence and you haven't seen this i think the director behind it i'm not gonna even try to pronounce his name he has a very weird filmography but like most of the time does feel like he works for me he did really found jungle cruise yes he did jungle cruise which i thought was entertaining enough um, but the shallows i think is his best film probably from what i've seen just very impressive stuff so that will be mine well we don't need to mention <laughs> hey DCEU dead it can't hurt me anymore um (laughs) yeah so that's my rapid reviews and i think that does it for the episode thank you both for coming on happy new year
2: um with this
0: we are done with award season which means on clappercast we're done with new releases until like march um unless something changes with the award with the release schedule it's kind of shit coming out between now and march and like dune 2 so we're going to take this time to look at old films and old shows and old pieces of media um, from filmmakers who we haven't really had a chance to talk about in the podcast, but definitely deserve a place here. So I'm excited to get into you know, some John Waters. I'm excited to get into just a lot of very interesting, fun filmmakers. I'm not going to spoil it all for everyone, but um, I think it's going to be a very, very fun and inspired few months on the podcast, including next month where we do a couple episodes for my birthday, which I'm excited about. So with that, where can we find you guys on social media? Nick? You can find me on x and blue
1: sky and instagram now you can find me in all the socials just ground 97 or riko just super easy to find even on letterbox and you can follow also my my youtube and vimeo pages uh, at enjoy the movies and you can also follow the clapper instagram account which is officially revitalized back from the dead up to date with all the new reviews i'm going to put a nice little post about the clapper awards nomination so check it out
0: love it clapper awards where jake um saltburn is nominated for at least one award on there jack we're going to find you on social media just like that one um you can find me on uh,
2: <laughs> twitter and uh, i can't stop thinking about that film as well which is really starting to fuck me off now because it's really annoying me it's, it's everywhere and then I, I said in my review that the, the reasons why it's getting picked up is, is a detriment to its exactly what it's trying to say and ex- exactly what it's happened, so um, that film can go fuck itself.
1: They played Murder on the Dance Floor in the gym. They never played it for the past, like, that, two years. That, that's that's just because so like,
2: like... it has does have that energy, and she does strut that shit, so fair play to her. She, 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 she's getting some flowers for once. Because she's doing M&S adverts now here, so I don't know what that says. It's like... And like Nicole Kidman doing ANC adverts, <laughs> it may be a fall from grace. I don't know. See how you will. But um, yeah, you can find me on Letterbox and Twitter with the same usernames, at Jack It's just my name. Um, but yeah, follow follow Clapper on um, on Letterbox. Uh, we're, we're revamping that just because there's been no time really to do it. And and Casson's um, doing the, the uh, uh, Clappercast. Jakob's doing Uncut Gems. Nick's doing the um, the uh, the Instagram. So it's going to be an interesting 2024. Um, like 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 uh, Carson said just to echo, uh, I've seen a few bits and pieces we're doing on here for 2024, and it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of conversation about stuff, which I'm I'm eagerly anticipating, but also um, hotly uh, becoming slightly <laughs> scared about what direction we're going to talk about stuff in because there's some, lot of, uh, a lot of a lot of very interesting theoretical philosophical. Rambatta-sized pieces we're looking at and um, it, it couldn't look like a better lineup just to talk about film so yeah well done Carson for, for organizing this this year you've done a brilliant job um, I'm always honored to be back on here and I'm, I'm sure Nick is although he's shaking his head' not <laughs> uh, but yeah well done to, to you both as well I, I love being on this I love people I hope people listen even even if I'm allowed to ramble Carson allows that and I'm not lock, looking at the wall screaming and shouting so thank you very much for having me again Carson, it's been a wonderful year with you as well.
0: I appreciate that. Um, You can find me on Twitter at PP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox and Blue Sky, just Carson Tamar. Uh, Again, thank you so much for listening. What Jack says, I extend to everyone who listens, um, everyone who probably hate watches because they think we're going to gush about Saltburn and then we hate it. Um, It means a lot to be able to come on here, talk about film, to have Ferrari that could have just been a film that was in and out of the mind and have a two hour conversation on it um and feel like i understand man and understand my opinions on ferrari so much better it is really worthwhile so i hope everyone sticks with us um through this year and i think it's going to be a very fun year on the podcast so with that thank you so much goodbye